ladies and gents, after another grueling week at work, or perhaps on holiday with the wife or husband that you kick yourself every day for settling down with, you have reached the end of the working week and your tether and chosen to spend your Friday night unwinding with me. Unfortunately, that is just the most recent of your catalogue of poor decisions, as you will find out over the next hour, as we fail spectacularly to cheer you up for the weekend and instead dive headfirst into our specialist subject of pain, dystopia and political chaos. Joining me for this week's jolly bout of uplifting tinkery is property journalist Harry Scoffin. Welcome, Harry. Hi there. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. How are you doing, man? Good, not bad. Busy week for me, but it's nice to have a breather and we can have a sit down chat tonight. That's it. Yeah, we were just sort of saying before we started uh, streaming that we were, you know, we were trying to do this. Uh, what for about a month or two months before? A or... month, yeah, that was it. I lost my voice from all this chatting because I'm a journalist. You're speaking to people all the yeah. time, and then you came down with COVID. That's didn't right, you? yeah. And then my girlfriend had it, and then both my kids had it, and uh, so yeah. But what family? We've out, uh, yeah. we've made it. We've made it happen finally. But it's one of these things like when I think when you connect with people on Twitter, and you don't really like we don't really know each other, and you know it's no. it's just sort of direct messaging and stuff. Slid into the DMs there, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you like, you never know if people are just kind of full of shit or not. So, you, like, I was worried that you would true, be thinking true. you're never a hundred percent about the person behind the the account, really. Do yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. But like, I don't know. I was, I was worried that you might think that I was messing you around. Oh, yeah, we'll do it in like four oh, weeks. No or way. Because um, remember, I was like, we got to delay it because I literally couldn't speak. You know, it sounded like I don't know Freddy Krueger or something, or Rod Stewart. I don't know. The voice was all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. Well, I mean, you're sounding good tonight. So I assume you've done your like vocal warm ups and stuff before we did. Start. Yeah, honey and lemon tea, <laughs> lots of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. So um, yeah, thanks very much for for joining us. Um, I suppose the, the the reason that I thought you would be uh, a great guest to to get on was because uh, anyone who follows me on on TikTok or anyone who has had the misfortune to be bored by me at a dinner party will know that the housing crisis is a, is a subject close to my heart. Um, and and full yeah. disclosure, I'm you know I'm a homeowner. I've I've th- by hook or by crook managed to get myself on the ladder. Um, but I'm I'm acutely aware of the challenges that people face yeah. um, within it. Broadly speaking, um, uh, so we, we can we can touch a little bit on on that sort of broad housing crisis in in yeah. a while. But one of the things that drew me to you was your uh, the the attention that you give and the exposure that you give um, specifically to the like the cladding and like leaseholder yeah. scandal. Um, so obviously you know you share a lot of content on on Twitter and you've written a lot of stuff a, a, about it. Um, and I think that's really interesting and it, 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 it deserves a mention um, because it's still ongoing. I think in a lot of people's minds, yeah. they think, oh, Grenfell happened and that was really sad. And we've, you know, we've had this inquiry and, you know, maybe now it's time to. But but it's like, no, this is still the ripple effects from this is still happening. Um, so I thought, you know, let's let's have a chat about that. Let's try and give, you know, in, in the the meager and uh, humble way that I can. Let's try and give it a little bit more exposure and, and put it to pieces, you know. Hundred percent. Well, thanks for having me on because I think, as you said, you've got a personal interest in this. So do I. Even though I'm not a homeowner, mm. I'm only 26. The reality is, my mum is a leaseholder and she's been completely rinsed on right. service charges. Is that basically this idea of a leaseholder? I don't know whether we're going to get onto that in a minute. Yeah. But buying a home, you think you're going to be a homeowner, but lots of people there basically a glorified renter, mm. but they put all this money behind a certain landlord behind a certain building. And the reality is, at least with renting, if you're not happy with your service being provided, you can 
you know, basically move on to another property. Whereas with leasehold, you're basically owning, you take on all the responsibilities, all of the hassles of owning, mm. all the costs and the risks, but you have none of the control and none of the autonomy. So it's a big, big issue. But I guess in England, Wales, Scotland have abolished it years ago. Yeah. You know, most of the world don't have it, but we have it because it's this kind of feudal system. Mm. It goes back to the doomsday book, which is crazy. Well, I'm right. sure we'll get on to it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Let's tap into that in uh, in a few minutes. Um, I think, first of all, it would be good to get an understanding of your background because like property journalism is quite a specific sort of niche area like i'm, I'm sure when you were studying journalism or, or when you had you know desires aspirations to get into journalism you were probably thinking of being like the next glenn greenwald or or maybe not like, maybe it was always property but like how did you end up well, doing it's what funny you so my sort of background i guess it was politics i read at university did a master's at lse very much the politics thing right the bug the reality is, is a bit, you know, going into politics that way, I thought you can affect change in a far more, I don't know, honest way, but also getting in th through journalism, not necessarily being a politician or anything like that. And I was saying about my mum's situation, that was such a crazy, well, we're still living in it, but crazy situation, not having control and these charges just going up. 61% mm. they've gone up in six years. Right. There's no luxury services. You've got one guy... Uh, basically guarding a door who's on little more than minimum wage. Yeah. And, you know, the freeholder lives on a yacht in Monaco. And I thought, well, I did a two weeks internship at the independent newspaper. And basically I did a long read for them on leasehold and this leasehold scandal. Right. And I really was just dipping my toe in the water. And then Leasehold Knowledge Partnership, which is kind of the leaseholders charity, they also run the all-party parliamentary group in parliament of all the MPs and peers that are, or lords that are interested in trying to get this horrible you know, archaic, abusive, almost corrupt system abolished yeah. and bring England and Wales into line with the rest of the world. They reached out to me and said, look, would you like to come on for some work experience? And then it's funny, I sort of never left. And so my main boss is Sebastian O'Kelly. He was the uh, one of the former Mail on Sunday property editors for 12 years. Mm. So it's almost been a kind of apprentice, apprenticeship almost in a way. I've sort of been the, the apprentice and he's kind of been the the mentor or the tutor right. and I've basically learned so much about journalism from basically working under the guy with another amazing person called uh, Martin Boyd who basically was a leaseholder and was up against a billionaire freeholder and managed to wrestle control of the site off him right so there were parallels with my situation where we've got a offshore billionaire freeholder yeah. we're not probably as well organized as his block but there we go and sort of been there ever since and that's been i think two and a half three years now so it's kind of like the laws are starting to change yeah yeah you know and it's kind of like i want to be part of that just before you know this is a once in a, a you know leasehold if you know the history it's every 10 or 15 or 20 years laws get changed mm. but now i think there's a real pressure to abolish the system in a way that hasn't been in the past so hopefully fingers crossed it happens so is it sort of like you 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 came up like you got your your bachelor's degree you did your master's uh you did yeah. some work experience at the independent and the long read that they asked you to write was about leasing or yeah about basically the leasehold scandal this idea right. of you know buying a property that you actually don't own so you're taking a mortgage out on something that you don't yeah, own yeah yeah so this whole thing of leasehold basically when you buy a flat in england and wales basically these flats are sold as tenancies yeah long-term tenancies might be 99 may even be nearly a millennium nine, 999 years yeah. but the problem is is that you don't have the control that you associate with home ownership and, and so it's not like freehold ownership what is the justification for for having that model because i've got friends who bought flats like pre all of this 
like this whole scandal kind of hysteria and, the and, and everything. yeah they yeah, yeah. they like one guy bought a place in fulham and he explained to me that it was a 99 year lease and i said that's fucking weird that's a, what what i thought you owned the flat like why are you on a lease and his yeah. his explanation of it was well when you build a block of flats on let's say 100 square feet of land you, they go upwards right so not everyone can yeah. own the 100 square feet that the block of flats is built on yeah, yeah. and so what they do is they there's some sort of connection there with like cutting it up into leases like, yeah so work? there's an argument about with the leases you need a contract because you need to bind commitments onto the individual flat owners or tenants right. and leases is something that we've had you know for many years now but the leasehold system is about a thousand years old anyway right. and it actually is a feudal kind of remnant and it's, it's mutated into different forms so before leasehold we had copyhold mm. deeply unpopular people rebelled against it and then it became leasehold. Right. And there's always a strong argument. Well, look, leasehold you'll always need because you'll need a landlord for an apartment building, multi-occupancy. Yeah. You need someone to take over the interests and the stewardship of an apartment block with many different little interests. You need someone to, if the residents are fighting like rats in the sack over maybe some major works, mm. you need someone to go above them and say, no, it's getting done. Mm. But the thing is, is that as anyone that studies this knows England and Wales are among just six countries, you know, they're, they're part of the six that don't use common hold or a form of common hold to organise flats. So the reality is, is that when people buy a flat in England and Wales, you're basically buying a, a timeshare or you're buying the right to occupy the property mm. for a set number of years. And that means you're buying a wasting asset. So even if it's 999 year, years, mm. the reality is, is that it can depreciate not just through the, the length of the lease, but you've got a landlord. Now, what the landlord does, or the freeholder, they call them as well, is very important to, mm. you know, the value of your property. If they don't maintain the block, the value of your lease or the value of your flat mm. will go down. And the right. thing is, if you can't get rid of the landlord, yeah. you're in a real sticky situation there because you're in a monopoly situation. Yeah, yeah. That's a really important, uh, important point to make because it's, I suppose, from my perspective, uh, rooted entirely of my experience of my you know cherry-picked one or two friends who have bought flats they've not yeah. had any of those issues it's very much a case of like that they bought the flat for 250 or 300k and then they yeah. accept the fact that there is a freeholder somewhere and they pay a service charge yeah. and and you know i'm sure nine times out of ten then the the freeholder the landlord is uh an admirable human being who does you know oh it's definitely not nine not? times out of ten. we've got a huge huge I mean, literally one in four properties now are leasehold in England, I think, or England, Wales, one of the two. Yeah. Um, and that's literally 20% of our housing stock. So we've got the same amount of leasehold property as we do socially rented, you know, uh, council housing stock or housing association that's pure rent. Right. It's a huge proportion of our market. But the thing is, back in 2016, my old MP, Jim Fitzpatrick, spoke in the Commons. He believed, based on which data... Um, basically that 1.6 billion pounds of overcharging on service charges a year mm. and it's 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 going to be way more than that because the growth of leasehold mm. literally if you want to buy a, a build an apartment block it has to be leasehold more or less because common holds not taken off the law in that area is deficient mm. it doesn't really work with shared ownership properties right. doesn't work on mix mixed use you know if you might have a hotel or some shops below it's not going to work on that so that's most of manchester leeds and london out because they have to be mixed developments yeah. but the thing is is that the system relies on you having a good landlord but the reality is is that you don't really need a landlord yeah because what we've seen with the grenfell 
you know, post Grenfell scandal or building safety crisis. Some people just call it cladding. Yeah. Basically, these building owners that in the good times, they take everyone's money. Yeah. They control everyone's service charges and their household bills. Then in the bad times, with a hit with the dangerous cladding or other fire safety issues, they say, not for me to pay. I'm just a speculator in the income streams. Well, they've got to make up their mind. One minute, they're the building owners and they control everything. Mm. And the leaseholders are the tenants that have no rights, really. The laws in this, we've got about eight, 16 or 18 different bits of legislation. It's all been sticking plastered over many years. Mm. The reality is, is that successive governments have wanted to move away from leasehold. Mm. But the big landlords and the big developers, you know, the Duke of Westminster's of this world, right. very, very well financed. They fight tooth and nail to resist meaningful change in this. Right. So let's let's drill into this a little bit. Right. So if I'm a, yeah. um, a developer. Uh, a developer and i build i i buy a plot of land in west london and yeah. i decide to build uh 500 flats on top of it um yeah why what's what's the bonus for me what's the kickback for me if i make all of these properties leasehold and how do i even do that because like wouldn't i be thinking right i've got 500 flats i'll just sell them all like and move on with yeah, my life everyone owns the freehold like why no. do i have to so a lot of that yeah I get what you're saying, and that's what like a normal person would think, you know, on the street. You'd think, okay, that makes sense, and they clear off and they're onto the next right. site and build more houses, or more flats. The reality is, is that there are two options at the moment, or three, if you count the really terrible common hold legislation that we have on the books. You can do standard leasehold, yeah. or you could do share of freehold or common hold. Now, with leasehold, why most developers go with leasehold is it's everyone knows how to use it. You draft the leases in a way that benefits your own interests. So you'll get lawyers to draft leases. We saw a huge scandal with ground rents a few years ago, where these ground rents were doubling every five, 10, 15 yeah, years. Yeah. The banks were, were falling asleep on the job. So they basically were lending against these products. And then the work of Leasehold Knowledge Partnership, but also a great campaign group called National Leasehold Campaign, uh, run by these three amazing working mothers, basically that bought leasehold houses, you know, and there were ground rent issues there that actually then made the bank scared and then withdraw uh, support, mortgage support for these, whether they're houses or flats, with these crazy doubling ground rates yeah. that would make, you know, there's a story even in the Daily Mail, say the Daily Mail, but there we go. They, they've they been really good on this scandal in the last year or so, mm. especially with cladding, but even on ground rents. There's a lady in South London who's got a one-bed flat. It's one of those sort of maisonettes that have been converted. And big, unfortunately, she's taking action against her, uh, solicitor or, or whatever mm. um, because basically the ground rent that was snuck in there basically was going to keep doubling until it gets to about a million pounds really? in I think 50 years time so the reality is, is that leases or any contracts those that draw them or get them drawn up those contracts inevitably benefit those that are behind them yeah. never really the consumer so the thing is why a developer would go for leasehold is not only will they sell the flats and I say sell inverted commas mm because they're basically only selling the right to occupy those flats for a set number of years. But they get the freehold as well. So they're splitting the, the land. So splitting the kind of land from the flats, as so it does, were. Wait, wait, wait. So, wait. They, so does the developer hang on to the freehold? So the developer hangs on to the freehold as a way of potentially either keeping the freehold, like certain developers that I'm not going to name here tonight because I might get into legal trouble. Yeah. But basically there's some big developers where they'll keep hold of the freehold. And we'll wait for a second on that. But many will keep hold of the freehold. They'll sell the flats as leases without a share in the freehold. So that, or even a resident management company, a resident management company would basically mean that 
the leaseholders are still leaseholders, the, you know, the flat purchasers, yeah. but they would at least control the managing agent. So many developers, all they'll do is they'll keep the freehold, yeah. they'll sell all the flats, leaseholds, yeah. or on leases, and then they'll find some private equity investor, maybe in Monaco or the Cayman Islands, or maybe UK-based, yeah. to basically they'll sell that freehold, which will be worth a lot of money because it has something called a ground rent attached. Yeah. So each flat will have to pay a ground rent normally in modern days. Before the ground rent used to be called something called a peppercorn, yeah. which means literally zero financial value. But when you have a value on it, yeah. it basically means it's a lucrative income stream for an investor. So most of these developers, they would then sell the freehold on and some would get the, the freehold, they'll get the ground rent income. Mm -hmm. But what wasn't said and what wouldn't be advertised in public is you've got all these other income streams. So you've got placing the insurance the freeholder or the landlord has to do and they can do it with a broker uh, or a managing agent and then they can make a commission. So commissions can be as high as 60%. Mm -hmm you know, on average 40%. So leaseholders are paying for something that they're, you know, it's not really a service. Yeah, yeah. It's commission. It's basically, it's a horrific immoral practice. Yeah. And it goes on because the laws aren't there to really force that disclosure. Leaseholders can go to tribunal and waste their lives basically trying to get mm. it. But it's, it means you've kind of got to have a legal background or it be an accountant, basically. So it's a bit of a nightmare in that respect. It's but also many developers, they keep the freehold because they can screw people on service charge. So they can constantly increase the service charge. And there's no real rules and regulations that says once it hits a certain point, you've got to stop. There's no cap on it, really. There's no cap. So you can literally keep bringing up the service charge yeah. higher. And their understanding, and it's very, very clever, before the Grenfell situation and all the regulatory fallout from that, they believe that leaseholders are worst enemies. That's true. So leaseholders don't get organised. People are so scared of their property values, they don't want to speak to the media and tell their story about service charge abuse. Yeah, yeah. They're scared because they don't want to damage their property That's prices. Another... And you know what they want to do? Yeah. They want to sell the flat, get out, and leave it to someone else to sort. And the thing is, now with the cladding issue and all of the regulatory fallout of that, people have got these huge bills, up to £150,000. There's a case recently um, in Hertfordshire where a young woman is facing, I think it's two hundred and five thousand pounds to remove some cladding off a building she doesn't even own for a flat she doesn't even own yeah. for a building she didn't build for a building she didn't sign off the whole thing's a joke but because people have got nothing to lose now yeah. they're willing to get their hands dirty and tell the media about stuff that preceded grenfell where they've you know even now there'll be many blocks where they don't have any issues of cladding but they've got crazy service charges where you might they might not have any facilities so and they're paying for one bed seven thousand a year yeah yeah let's let's rewind a little bit and and bake this into a, uh, uh, a sort of real worldish kind of example right so let's say i am a young professional um i'm 29 i've got my first like 40k or 50k a year job and i want to i want to get on the ladder and i've managed to through through scrimping and saving i've managed to get myself um uh, enough to get the help to buy deposit together right so now i go and buy a one bed flat um that's in in a block that's been built by abc developers um and what you're saying is i would then buy the 900 year lease so i wouldn't sort of t like i would own it because there's a mortgage on it but not really is what you're saying it's like a long the only owning the right to occupy the property yeah, yeah. so for example if you don't pay your service charges or you have a dispute with the landlord over what he's levying you basically the and this is sounds theoretical, but it happens. We, we estimate about 90 successful cases, 120 are brought to the tribunal called forfeiture. So if you don't pay, mm. 
basically the landlord can take the property off you with no compensation. So there's not even a balancing payment. Really? Now, normally the land, normally the lenders get involved because their asset or their, you know, their, their, their kind of investment is they've got to protect their investment. They don't want their investment being seized by a, a landlord or a freeholder. Right, yeah. But there have been many cases where people have either been out of the country, maybe the brother didn't open the mailbox mm. or whatever, and basically the property gets kind of repossessed yeah, yeah. by this freeholder and there's no compensation. So it's a feudal kind of windfall thing to a landlord. Yeah, yeah. But they use that. And if you don't even need it to be successful, they use that to get you to pay whatever they want you to pay, basically, yeah. whether it's a service charge, a major works demand. So the reality is, is that for someone you're saying, talking about a young case study, young person, mm. now what happens is the banks will look at affordability. Mm. When you buy into that block of flats, mm. the developer will say, okay, one bed, the ground rent is 2,000, not the ground rent, the service charge is 2,000 pounds. Do you think, oh, reasonable? But generally most developers, particularly the PLC ones and the big name ones that you and I have all heard of, they basically under, underestimate or understate or even missell the service charge contribution. Right. So after two years, they time out the warranty and then basically they'll sell the freehold on and the service charge could yeah, double. right. So that's what I was going to get onto. Is like and that in... goes back to affordability. The, that young person is already feeling underwater mm. and then it might double again. Yeah, yeah. Literally, and we've seen cases where service charges have gone up 50% in like four years. Yeah. Which is and these are young people literally, and their only choice is to sell, but it's already affected their capital value mm. because no one wants a one bed. I'm in London Docklands. There's so many one beds. Yeah. There's a glut of them on the market, and then when you see those service charges, people don't want to touch it for barge pole unless you really take a hit on it. Most of these young people, they can't. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose is there some truth to the um, the idea that specifically with one beds because we're trying to get so many young people onto the ladder quickly. And there's always another new build yeah. block of flats around the corner. Like why would you yeah. buy a new build one bed that's like two years old when you could just go yeah. around the corner and get like the brand new one with the pristine kit. Do you know what I mean? It's like new car, old car syndrome. Yeah. Literally, as soon as it's, uh, you know, out of the showroom, that flat depreciates very quickly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the same with a car. You take it as soon as you've taken out of the, you know, Audi show, uh, you know, showroom, it depreciates. Yeah. And the reality is, is that, People might be thinking, oh, I might be better off getting a brand new, you know, flat in a brand new block with these services. What they don't know is that those service charges are set at a very attractively, you know, a low or competitive price. Yeah. And then they just get jacked up, you know, because especially where the developer holds the freeholds, yeah. they'll impose all their intermediary companies on it. Right. So they know they know you're a cash cow. Yeah, yeah. They know it. And the law allows them to do it as well. I was going to ask you a question about... Um... So in terms of sort of dodgy service charges and, um, uh, uh, and and strange practices from freeholders. So my girlfriend works in property. Um, they have a flat that they rent out uh, to family business. And, um, uh, and there's a freeholder uh, sort of landlord company. Um, it used to be a, used to be a shop and they, they renovated it, turned it into a, yeah. what, a one or two bed flat. And every now and then they get this letter through from from this freeholder uh, saying, like, this is your last warning, blah, 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 like threatening them. And they're yeah. like, what the what the fuck does this even relate? And then they try and phone them, can't get through, can't get through. Then another yeah. one comes Perfect. through saying, like, this is your final one. And 
and they're thinking like you would or like I would like oh shit I better fucking pay this or I'm really in trouble yeah. because like you said if if you're the freeholder and you could seize that property the inclination there and it's a theoretical even if it's 90 successfully a year you you've got this you know there's a sort of damocles hanging over the leaseholder and that's psychologically has a very powerful impact because you think gosh this is my property I might have a mortgage on mm. it you know I'm a homeowner mm. In inverted commas, no, in the law, they call you a tenant. Yeah, yeah. You're actually nothing more than a glorified renter. And this is what the great leasehold delusion is. Everyone's thought they'll get on the bladder, they'll buy the flat. And because we had the property boom of the 2000s, mm. it was quite, it was like anesthetic for the brain. People would then buy the flat, then they would trade up to a house, maybe in St. Albans or whatever, and they don't need to deal with the leasehold issue again. And it's always a first time buyer. Mm. But now we've had the whole property market oh. gummed up. And now with the whole cladding issue, we've, basically 1.3 million properties basically unsaleable or unmortgageable mm. so you can't sell it to mm. a mortgage buyer you know and it's basically impacting property chains so where someone might try to be buying a house there's probably normally a starter flat in there it's coming the whole property system up yeah. so almost like subprime the reality is, is that now the whole leasehold issue people can't pretend what they used to just pretend about and, and shut away and sell it to the next buyer because that's what people would do. They'd just say, look, we'll keep quiet on the service charge. We'll sell it to some maybe naive overseas buyer, particularly for the two or three bedroom flats in London. Yeah. You know, and even the one bed, there's always still enough demand for the one bed with the, with the first time buyers that people could just quickly wash their hands of it. But now the whole property market's stagnating and basically everyone knows what's happening with leasehold now. Yeah, it's sort of exactly. on, on an industrial scale now. People, It's the first... I, I suppose I would liken it to, like, before all the anti-vax nonsense really took hold, it was just like a few sort of fringe lunatics might say, like, oh, I've, you know, I've heard this caused... Uh, what was it they thought it caused? Um, like vaccinations back in the day, they thought that it caused autism, didn't they? Autism, uh, yeah. And then, but uh, now it's so, like, widespread, it's like... On, on more than an industrial scale. So I suppose yeah. it's like that. It's like back in the day, a few people would be aware of it or... That's a thing. It was very much a concern of lawyers. It was seen as a very dusty issue. Yeah. You know, my bosses did an amazing job. I think that LKP has been around six years, but it used to be an issue that even journalists didn't really want to particularly touch. They didn't see how it, uh, it linked to real people's lives. They just thought, oh, it's a legal mechanism for basically apartment buildings you know mm. the leasehold we've had it all these many years i mean even when i was in the independent a very very good journalist over there he said well don't you have to have leasehold as a way of you know uh, organizing communal living and i actually said no you don't mm. and at the moment this leasehold is creating an asset class in ordinary people's homes without people knowing it yeah so it's such a crazy th and then the grenfell thing and everything that's come out afterwards that's just it's turned it into such a mainstream issue, but we also had the leasehold houses. So the Northwest, the leasehold model was so attractive to developers, yeah. particularly in the Northwest, but all across the country, they started selling houses as leasehold tenancies, basically. Right. They might have put a dodgy ground rent yeah. in. And lots of people, particularly in the Northwest, many of them, they felt they had no choice but to buy a leasehold house because all the new developments you know, were leasehold houses. So they were told something at the showroom, look, you can buy your freehold after the two years in law and it'll only be four to six thousand pounds. And then two years passed mm. and then they wanted to buy the freehold and they were told it's off the market. Yeah. It's been taken on by another develop uh, another investor. And if you want to buy it, it's about sixty six thousand pounds. Yeah. You know, working people, they've not got that type of money. So they set up this national leasehold campaign to kind of energize the masses and actually raise awareness. 
link up with Leasehold Knowledge Partnership, which has the intellectual capital. Mm. They're kind of a sort of charity, come think tank, come media organization. And they, they had the you know intellectual capital with the people power, bringing it together. And what was very clever about the NLC, developers and freeholders put enormous pressure on them to say, look, this is just a houses issue. Try and buy mm. them off about the houses. Oh, we'll sort out the houses. But those three amazing ladies, Katie, Kath and Joe, they weren't having it. They said, look, we now know that leasehold is even more abusive in the flat setting yeah. because this freeholder can control, controls your whole home life down to whether your windows get cleaned. You know, the reality is, is that the, the, the abuses in leasehold for flats are way more than houses. Mm. And actually the houses, it got people's interest. Yeah. They were locking themselves up in fake prisons saying... We're we're locked. We're 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 prisoners. That, basically. that was when I was first and aware of it. Interested. Yeah, like that was when the news story news stories sorry uh, broke about them uh, trying to wrap lease agreements around houses. I was like, well, because like going back to my friend who bought the flat, who then explained, oh well, yeah. this this is why they do nine hundred year leases. Is blah blah yeah. blah. It didn't make any sense to me because I was like, well, if that's the reason that he gave me, how the fuck would that apply to just like one house? based on to so a it house has to be a like profiteering thing and it sounds like it's a it's a, it's a racket yeah. basically they were then selling the freeholds from under their former customers feet i guess as soon as they left the showroom bought their house yeah. and instead of honoring what they said in the showrooms mm. then the, either the freehold was taken off or it was going to be you know a ginormous amount of money and you know what because of the work of lkp and nlc mm. and some great journalists outside that nlc and lkp have, have, have briefed mm. Basically, the mood music changed. Parliament then launched a parliamentary inquiry by the Housing Select Committee. They did about six months. They hauled the developers up. The developers freely admitted it was their business model yeah. without even a smile on their face. There was no irony. They thought, well, it's legal. Yeah. Legal is not moral. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And then the Competition and Markets Authority got involved. And a few months ago, they ha they basically come to an agreement with some leading developers and freehold owners, even Aviva. So even a big name insurer like that was hoovering up freeholds to people's homes, mm. you know, and they say it's for the ground rent income or it's for pension funds. Yeah. Maybe that's true. But the reality is, is that everyone was piling into these freeholds, whether their houses or flats, mm. you know, yeah. and it was a big, big scam. But because of the houses, that was a way in to actually, you know, setting this debate. And then obviously with Grenfell, mm. the leasehold structure has now come under immense scrutiny because the government for the last four and a bit years have been saying building owners must pay. Mm. But in leasehold law, the building owner really isn't a building owner. They're just an income, uh, you know, um, income extractor or yeah, like ground they, rent. They bought or whatever you want to call the it. asset, haven't they? As you said earlier. They bought the asset, but they don't really have any real liabilities as such. No. They're not there to pay. So the ownership is divorced from the financial liabilities. Yeah. So it's the leaseholder or the tenant that has to pay. And yet they don't do any of the owning, which is a joke. So they can't appoint their own managing agent. Mm. They can't basically democratically decide their own service charge budget. Mm. Yet all around the world, when you buy a flat, you own it outright. There's no building owner or third party landlord or freeholder or whatever you want to call them, ground rent, you know, investor. There's none of that. So the actual interest in the block is to those that own the property. Yeah. Those that pay for it. So, and with the whole Grenfell situation, the government have still been kind of hiding behind building owners even now. Yeah. So anyone under block under the 18 metres, they're basically selling out. And I'm saying this personally have a forced loan on them. Yeah. So well, this these is, are going to be this is, low interest loans. This is something I wanted to tap into uh, t tonight with you, um, was the, the, the sort of personal impact that it's having 
on flat owners because i think there's a, a tendency yeah. uh from afar to read these news stories and go like well you know worst case scenario some people who managed to get on the ladder who you know now they're flat owners and i'm gonna go bankrupt well or, like yeah. I, I think a lot of people would look at it like uh, they would dismiss it in a sort of look. They're flat owners, so they're going to be making as long as they hold on to their flat, they'll eventually. So they come own out, it. But... They're going to have to pay for the maintenance, all of that. But the thing is about the build, building safety crisis. Yeah. These aren't just little wear and tear bills no. for living in an apartment building. This is basically wide, you know, regulatory failure, but also corporate wrongdoing. Basically, mm. so developers were cutting corners, not building uh, buildings basically to spec mm -hmm. and to the regulations. So they might do missing fire breaks. There might be combustible insulation, but then the government went wrong. Now, the government, if we had an MHCOG spokesperson on now, they would vigorously deny that the cladding that was on Grenfell was um, basically allowed under regulations. They would say it was non-compliant. Right. But all these developers and cladding manufacturers, they say, no, it was compliant with the regulations. So and the problem is the government yeah. don't want to be taken to court. Yeah. And the developers are thinking, right, we don't need to take them to court yet because they're not pushing the bill onto us yeah so what they're doing is the government are basically pushing the bill so they say one thing and then they do something else so they say that you know there's record investment of 5.1 billion pounds so to the guy on the street who you know might not read that much about politics they might look at the bbc news site once a week and they scroll down for the sport and they might something might catch their eye that sounds like a huge amount of money they're a taxpayer they might not even have a property mm. and you know what they might think that's a lot of money but what that's doing is I think it's between 60 to 90 percent of the of the overall bill is going to be on the leaseholder's shoulders. Yeah, so yeah. it's not on the taxpayer or the reg. I would say I don't see it as a taxpayer because leaseholders are taxpayers. Mm. It's about state failure and industry failure, market failure. So we need to actually get the money from those but, who cocked up. Yeah, but like and how at the moment they're going to be contributing a very small amount. So how do you I suppose this is what I, I struggle to get my head around. So. Grenf Grenfell happened, there was a lot of focus yeah. on the quality of the cladding. And so if I follow that trajectory and I go, right, okay, the cladding was not fit for purpose and was uh, highly conducive with creating a huge yeah. fireball in which a lot of people died. Yeah. Right, so the cladding is not sufficient. Who did the cladding meet the regulatory requirements at that time it sounds like the government would say or, or the sorry the house builders... the government would say it didn't right. it wasn't compliant but... and that's what the ministers will say as the officials but then there's another school of thought which the developers the cladding manufacturers they say no it was compliant so why so the regulations were so poorly written right that they allowed the ambiguity allowed for something like that to get I stuck see. on Grenfell. Okay, so then then it becomes a question of taking it to court so that somebody... And the government don't want to be taken to court, right, okay. so you can see that with their behaviour over leaseholders. They're not making the polluter pay, or they're not making those that put the dodgy cladding there in the first place, yeah. either the, 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 the regulator, either themselves, yeah. or the developers to pay and the cladding manufacturers. And the reality is, is that they're looking at two different levies at the moment. Yeah. Now, one of the PLC house builders, I think they could pay it literally i think they could do it all themselves and they only 20 percent of their annual profits they could take it's like a rolling uh, levy for of 10 years it's not going to raise a huge amount of money no. and the reality is the government is scared of taking on the industry mm. and obviously the industry are pushing back and they've got a case as well but Newsnight, there's been you know inside housing the times and sunday particularly sunday times martina lee's that they're doing great reporting but the reality is is that who isn't responsible? It's not the leaseholders. They bought a flat, and I say bought. Yeah. They bought a lease in good faith. 
And yeah. the whole lease system wasn't there for something that was so fundamentally wrong. Yeah. Leasehold, the whole idea, you know, it's about sharing the cost of living in a building, the service charges for the upkeep, fine, yeah. for general wear and tear. But it's not about huge facade and structural issues and ripping out you know, combustible material and wool and all, you know what I mean? It's not, it wasn't that designed for that. Yeah. But the government now are testing that to destruction. And because of the fallout from Grenfell, the wider structure of ownership that is leasehold is now, you know, under immense scrutiny. And people are saying, well, hang on a second, these freeholders say they're so useful and so vital to protecting the interests and safety of these leaseholders and that they know what's right for the building. Mm -hmm. And yet they're the same people that are on name and shame lifts by Emmett, MHCLG because they've not removed the cladding. Yeah. They don't want to pay for the removal of the cladding. And they pretend that they're as innocent as leaseholders. But my own personal view is that these freeholders have taken on that risk in a way. It's buying the freeholders an investment asset. Mm. They should bear that risk of actually having to basically pay to fix the cladding. And where the government can get involved, it needs to. It needs to, it needs to do some proper taxes on developers and cladding manufacturers. But also think about bringing up the foreign buyer's uh, or overseas, you know, buyer's levy. Mm. The moment, I think it's 3%. Singapore, you know, many other countries, parts of Canada, Australia, they have foreign buyer's levy of 15 20%. Mm. And that will help first-time buyers get on the property market because there's all this speculation in London and the South East. You could easily, those that want to invest in our country's housing market, they could pay a bit more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what have they done in other countries? So, as I understand it, with when Grenfell happened, there was a, a sort of ripple effect overseas and they were like, oh, shit, maybe we need to get our own house in order. Um, so have they handled this sort of stuff in a, in a more... Better than we have, absolutely. Yeah. So they immediately, Victoria's probably the classic case in Australia, the state government there. They said, right, to understand the problem, we need to know what the problem is. We need to know how severe it is. So we need to launch an audit of all high-rise apartment buildings in their you know, jurisdiction. Right. So they went and did that. Now, Scotland are going to be doing that shortly. Wales have committed to doing it. Somehow England thinks that they know it better. They've not looked at the rest of the world where they thought, right, we need to get the data on the issue. Mm. Now, what's happened is that the media has unfortunately stoked a lot of hysteria, but also the government's own so-called experts, such as Dame Judith Hackett, who was brought in to do this basically safety review about understanding how buildings mm. from conception to completion, but also occupation. The lady doesn't know anything about leasehold. She'll freely admit that to you. She said it to the Parliamentary Select Committee. And the report, there was some good recommendations there about a regulator and all the rest of it, and also about how developers build these buildings. Mm -hmm. You know, we should be building these buildings, apartment buildings like their aeroplanes, before something goes up in the sky, every little piece needs to be checked. Mm -hmm. And it can't just be one or two people that are saying, yeah, it's all right. And it's all this sort of devolving of responsibility downwards, and it's, you know, all the blame shifting, that needs to go. Yeah. But basically what's happened is that she's written this report that implies that all apartment buildings by their very nature, because they're multi-occupancy, are kind of like oil refineries that are waiting to go up. No. If apartment buildings don't have lethal cladding on them and you may, you have a two, two fire escape stairwells for the high rises, actually building risk can be managed like they do in all these other countries, that, you know, Seoul, Singapore, lots of cities where they've got high rises. They've got the right policies on them. Mm. But what's happened is that now with this building safety bill that's coming through the tracks, huge costs are going to be put on leaseholders because there's this wrong assumption that all buildings, apartment buildings, 
are like kegs that are going to explode basically yeah. and they need all these you know e- extra costs and regulations and a building safety manager what happened to the managing agent yeah. the reality is that the MHCLG they themselves is snuck in in the impact assessment that only an expert would pick up that the extra cost to leaseholders in a 15 year period either at the purchase stage of the of the situation or during the occupancy yeah. will be between 4 billion and, and 8 billion right so these are all costs and you know what they say well up to 4 to 6 billion will be non monetized benefits to mental health now i'll tell you that as a son of a leaseholder who feels completely underwater of service charges if you have service charges that are going to balloon that's not going to give any positive mental health benefits at all so you know obviously the the government and the ministers they don't live in these kind of apartment buildings they don't really know about the leasehold situation system mm-hmm. and you know dame judith hackett was at the a recent uh, meeting of the all-party parliamentary group you know i reached out to her and she said look i knew nothing about leasehold when i did that report well that's good isn't it yeah. and then she said she's learned a lot about the iniquities of leasehold but the problem is her report and the work that she was doing and ministers and officials they've been stoking hysteria for the last four years and now people can't get mortgages out on these properties because the banks the genie's out of the bottle the banks don't trust these buildings yeah. they don't trust the government's regulations so now there's a huge property crisis that goes beyond, yeah. you know, the 1.3 million and, leasehold and, properties that are directly impacted. And it's worth worth noting that it's that the 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 real world impact of this can be, and like I've got a friend who's caught up in the um in the cladding uh in the cladding output, if you like, um, in that so she bought a place and it was effectively zeroed in value, like they were. Yeah, they were like, well, if you want to remortgage, uh, I don't know what to tell you. It's um, it like this this place is worthless. And I was saying to her, I was like, well, then presumably that means you get to stay in it and you just don't have to pay a mortgage. And she was like, no, they still want their money. And I'm like, how do, how do you square that circle that it's you you say that it's you, I can't have a mortgage because it's not worth anything. And at the same time, you're like, uh, oh, I still want my money. Yeah, it's fucking bollocks. Like. And and then so she's in like scenario A, right? And then there's a lot of people in scenario B, which is where, um, you know, they've they've by hook or by crook they've got onto the ladder, and I really mean by hook or by crook, like they've borrowed, they've they got ten grand off their friend's credit card because they were like, I can give it back to you, like once the capital growth goes up, and then they borrow fifty grand, yeah, fifty grand off their rich uncle, and they're like, don't worry. I can give this back to you in a couple of years once the capital value goes at like and and we we can set up a payment plan and then this shit all happens and it's zeroed in value and they're like how the fuck am I supposed to pay these people back and it's it it is not just like bankruptcy it's like familial embarrassment and uh yeah like it's 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 financial ruin and I'm not saying that there's no way back from it because you know I've been in financial dire straits before and i've sort of managed to fight my way out of it there's there's always a way you know some light at the end of the tunnel but it is it is you know you were talking about mental health and the stresses that this shit can can put on you um i'd be amazed and i'm sure you'll you'll update me on this in a minute but i would be amazed if there hadn't been people who had thrown themselves out of their apartment windows by now over the stress and the mental health and i think to be honest you know i'm involved in some of the campaign groups people are literally thinking that they want to take their lives And the reality is some of them are thinking, you know what? We need another sort of Grenfell. We need a huge fire. Now, there was a fire down the road from me in New Providence Wharf, mm. Ballymore site. Now, they are a good developer as a case study because, interestingly, unlike many others, they keep the freeholds to the blocks. Mm. So once they've sold the last flat, they still keep it. Mm. So it's a little bit like Hotel California. 
you, you know, you can check out, but you can never leave. You're stuck with Ballymore for life, right. basically. And, and their managing agent and lettings agent and all their subsidiary companies, all the rest of it. And people complain of sky high service charges and unaccountable management, all the rest of it. Obviously, Ballymore would firmly de deny that. But you had a huge fire there. Now, luckily, no one died. It was in the morning. So they all had a WhatsApp group mm. and people, you know, kids had already gone to school by that point. But say if that was at night or in the morning, you know, yeah. when people are sleeping. They had these things called waking watch where you've got these fire wardens in the high-vis uh, jackets or vests. They've got the walkie-talkie being paid probably a little more than minimum wage. And the reality is, is that those guys, if I was on a little more than minimum wage, I would scarper if there was a fire. And I think it was effective in the first few floors, but the top floors, they, they were nowhere to be seen. Mm. And yet residents, they were paying tens of thousands a month for this sort of waking watch yeah. thing that the government have imposed on them. And... You know, what was interesting about that case is that you had a fire which, you know, the block still had Grenfell cladding on it. Mm. Now, the London Fire Brigade have said that didn't really contribute to the spread or anything like that. But they also had wooden balconies. Now, 95 yeah. percent of balconies in London on apartment buildings are made of wood. And the point is, is that you have a barbecue or someone lights a cigarette and drops it. Yeah. You're in real trouble there. And, and you could see it. It basically escalated quite quickly. But the thing is, is that. That developer didn't want to pay to remove the cladding. Mm. And because of the fire and the leaseholders, there was a protest that I helped organise within 24 hours. We had 200 people literally outside another Ballymore development that was going up with a leading Hong Kong developer. It got into Apple, really. you know, people from Ipswich mm. who were involved in the cladding crisis, they even came down. The thing is, is that these developers generally, and I'm not talking Ballymore specifically, but money. And yeah. if you hit their wallets, you affect their markets over in East Asia and mm. Southeast Asia. And that's where most of these flats are geared towards. They, you know, Ballymore is a good example. They don't really, I don't think, make any money from the help to buy scheme. But even those that do, they're selling a lot of their flats overseas. Mm. So there's a block down the road from me, a marsh wall that's just going live. Mm. And a studio, is for, a studio apartment is for £2 million. Really? Now it's for six. Six, six, yeah, it's shocking. I don't know who's got that money other than an overseas investor or maybe a Hong Konger yeah, who's fleeing like, tyranny, you know. Do you, don't you think like it's overseas... A shock that, but the thing is, they're moving from one nightmare situation to another because those service charges will spiral. Yeah. And the thing is, is that it eats, you know, this is what we see. And many of these overseas buyers, they think that they've been told their rental yield will be so good. Yeah. The problem is, is that after two to four years, the rental yield gets smashed because the service charges surge. Yeah. And the reality is, is that especially if you've just got a one or two bed, yeah. there's so many one or two beds on the market, it's very hard to keep a distinctiveness. And as you said, once they get older, yeah. you're always competing with a newer block, which might have a gym, it might have a jacuzzi, it might have a swimming pool, it might have a zen garden. They're getting outrageous with some of these yeah. you know, services. But the thing is, is that what you're saying about you know, people, it's starting to hit them mentally. So nine out of 10 people surveyed by the UK Action Cladding Group said that they their mental health has deteriorated. Mm. It was a big study, a big survey of people. And even in terms of the financial element, I'm just going to reel off a few statistics yeah, yeah. because it's really important. We're looking at only 10% of the Ministry of Housing's building safety funds have been dispersed. So there's huge pileup of administration. So everyone's waiting whether they've got their government you know, funding to get out of this misery. Yeah. But alarm costs are averaging £100,000 per building. Now, impact on individual flat values are between 29 and 67%, depending on the city, which is huge. Right. And we've also got 
a, a sample that LKP did of 110 apartment buildings with fire safety issues found that 57% had flats that had to be put up on auction. So these are bargain bucket deals. People are just trying to get rid of them. So is that... And then also insurance has risen by 400% on average. So from an average of 363 mm. per flat pounds a year to 1,447 pounds. So... These people are having to take on extra shifts at work. Yeah, They're, yeah. you know, sometimes having to don, you know, the high-vis jacket and take on the waking watch shifts yeah, on yeah. Christmas Day, doing everything they can to bring down these costs. And it's all feeling overwhelming. And... Literally, people are thinking they may have to jump off a bridge, partly just to end it, but also to get a new story because we had the Ballymore fire. That was huge. But then it almost needs something, an extra push. And if that's going to be someone that does a video, mm. you know, and actually think, just holds itself off a, off a roof. Do, do you think it's it's just harder to make an impact with this sort of campaigning journalism now because the news cycle moves so quickly? It's like if you get I something... I think that's the case, yeah. If you get so something the in the paper today... The fire, yeah, and then the it's... The way they moved on so quickly, they were saying literally we had about three or four days to make an impact. Once that had gone, mm. they weren't interested. All they wanted was the actual footage of the charred flat. Mm. The problem is it was an Airbnb flat. So you're never going to get that person because Airbnb in most apartment buildings is against the lease terms. You can't do unauthorised short lets under six months. Right. So that person was never going to volunteer. But the thing is, BBC, they said, we need the charred flat. We need inside. So they want blood and guts, basically, most yeah. of these journalists. And once the story's gone, it's gone. But the reality is it's the human impact that stays. And it's, you know, obviously that's a fairly affluent block. And yeah. they're now going to have all of their bills sorted for but i think that's what's important that you might have people going bankrupt in the red wall mm. but you also have people that have worked bloody hard as well down here in the south and in london and they're just seeing their property value decimated yeah, yeah. but also on the cladding these people feel that you know what they've lost all faith in their own freeholder now down the road this amazing report by london fire brigade basically said that there was a lack of maintenance in that block where the fire happened. And actually the vents that are supposed to suck the toxic fumes up mm. would, hadn't been maintained. And um, basically I understand that they're looking at potentially even bringing a prosecution because yeah. potentially of negligence is a claim that uh, basically London Fire Brigade, I think, made in a recent parliamentary meeting. So the reality is, is that it does intersect with leasehold because these building owners, if they're supposed to be noble custodians of apartment buildings, they, you know, and Ballymore may deny that they didn't maintain the, the vent system, but say if they actually, if that charge is correct, mm. they should be maintaining that for all the service charges that they're getting in. This is the they thing, should man. be making sure that this is a Rolls Royce. Yeah, like you were saying earlier about like, well, it can't be both. Like you have to pick which one you are. Like, you can't be an owner in the good times and then you're just a, a punter in the income streams in the bad times. Yeah, in the bad I'm just times an investor. Look, it's know? just an asset that I bought for a steady... It's just a, yeah, and I only get 60,000 in ground rent a year and the, the cladding bill is, you know, and it's a really interesting case actually and you can Google it yourself, Beetham Tower in Manchester. Yeah. Really, really swanky apartment building, but it's also got the Hilton underneath. Now you had an investor in the ground rents called the ground rents income fund. They're actually on the stock exchange. You could, I think you could buy shares in them. Mm. And basically very interesting. They had the leaseholder. Now, interestingly, the leaseholder weren't the flat owners. They were actually the leaseholder of the commercial hotel, the Hilton underneath. And they, it wasn't about cladding, but it was about stitch plates on the external facade of the building. And their argument is that when the building was first built, they never had these issues. And actually these issues, affects the, 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 the feel and the five-star look and feel of the hotel, and it affects their business. 
So they took it and there was all this lawfare for years in all the courts. I think it went up to the Court of Appeal or Supreme Court. And basically, I think it was Court of Appeal. They ruled in favour of the leaseholder of the, of the hotel. And they said, look, this hotel owner had a re or I say leaseholder. They owned a 999 year lease on the property. Right. Uh, on the hotel, they had a reasonable expectation that the building would be maintained to the standard of what it was supposed to be when they bought into it. And actually, they forced the ground rents fund. They're saying, no, we don't care if you only make 60,000 and the bill is about 2.2 or 3 million. You are the building owner. Yeah. You've taken on that risk as part of the investment. And this is in the ruling. I'll send it to you. And if viewers want to tune in, I'll send the link as well. But basically, they've now forced the building owner and the building owner, mm. they don't have the money for it. Yeah. Because it's all the ground rent, and the ground rent's not going to cover the two point whatever million. So what's happened is Manchester Evening News has just reported that a mysterious buyer has bought the freehold for a nominal sum. Now, you know, I'm not going to say who I think that uh, buyer is, yeah. but the reality is it's not the, the flat owners at the top. So you know what? They've bought that, and they've got the freehold for a bargain bucket deal, nominal, yeah. because of all the liabilities. And I think that's something where the campaign needs to look at in terms of Look, there's all these leaseholders that are going to go bankrupt because their freeholder mm. has got this bill that they know that they can make the leaseholders pay. Mm. Why don't these leaseholders in wholly residential buildings, if the freehold is nominal, which it probably will be because you've got all these liabilities of the cladding, why don't they go in and franchise? Because you're not going to make yourself go bankrupt and you're not going to basically forfeit the property against yourself, well, are you? They also if use... it's a third-party investor, they'll take it off can't you. Can't they use the example that you just gave of the hotel and... Uh, the, the... Getting the freehold for yeah, nothing, can't, basically, can't they because of that... all the liabilities. They should be doing that. Can they that. use that as, like, a legal precedent? Can they just say, you've already... Well, the thing is, because it's not directly cladding, they can't, but the, the principle still stands. The reality is the, the freehold will not be worth that much money at all. All it will be is the ground rent. Mm. And actually, if you get a surveyor in... You know, they'll actually think, well, hang on a second, the ground rent could be nominal. It might not be a huge, or it might be £60,000 a year, say, mm. say that. But the liabilities of, you know, millions and millions of pounds of cladding removal, and you might even be talking beyond cladding, you might be talking about putting in missing fire breaks. Now, in some cases, yeah. the cost of actually doing all that work, it might be cheaper actually pulling down the building and starting again. Yeah. So you've got all these liabilities, whether you could factor that in and actually buy the freehold something needs to be explored because that way the leaseholders are not going to all it will be it will be a showdown between the government and the leaseholders that are share of freeholders they're shareholders in the freehold owning company and that's where the major issue is it's where the freeholder is not the leaseholders themselves yeah. it's not collectively owned they're the ones that are going to be demanding these crazy bills you know 205,000 pounds we've got a block of flats down the road for me 150,000 pounds per flat Hertfordshire and Torbins is 150. Mm. But people are still looking at 50, 60, 70, 80,000 pound bills. You can't borrow more from the bank. Yeah. And these more, you know, these loans that MHCOG are going to be imposing on people in blocks under 18 meters. Yeah. No one's going to want a property with, in effect, two mortgages stuck on it. Yeah. They're just not. Well, they're just going to look at like that one bed flat, that two bed flat that's got a market value of let's say 300k yeah. and then a loan yeah. saddled on top of it like well why why yeah. the fuck would anyone with a brain buy no. this fucking place for for 360 or 400k when the market no. value of an identical flat down the road is new? Well, i don't it could even be newer right like we were saying earlier a yeah. newer version of it and without the, the loan. a newer version and it's better with maybe more services yeah. or the service charge is cheaper because that's what most developers do they suppress the service charge mm. to lure in naive buyers 
and all the rest of it. So the thing is, but there are, I mean, it does sound all doom and gloom. I think the building safety crisis, what will happen is we'll have hundreds of bankruptcies. When it hits the 1,000, the government will have to slam on the brakes, you know, and it will become a new poll tax. Mm. There'll be so much widespread anger and it will be seen as literally the party of home ownership mm. is bankrupting homeowners or even... Now, the real cynical view could be, well, these aren't homeowners, they're tenants anyway. That's not the natural constituency of the Conservative Party. But for all intents and purposes, these people have got mortgages out on properties. They would say they're homeowners, yeah. even if the law doesn't say that. The law's not really well, mature. Also, that would be a strange pivot for the Tory party to take after they've been so vociferously behind Help to Buy. And Help to Buy, help to buy. is all about like new builds, right? Like, I mean, you can get Help to Buy new on... Builds. You can only get it on a new build, basically. Yeah. It was kind of literally, you have to have a new build. It has to be with one of these approved developers. And that's it. You, you can't have it on on, on existing mm. stock, which is a shame. So here's here's uh, uh, slightly... Uh, loaded question for you right so you mentioned earlier about like so scotland are a, uh, a little bit ahead of us on this and um and we we talked about victoria in australia uh why why yeah. do you think it is that england seem to be so sluggish on this like we talked a little bit about you know they don't want to take it to court they don't want to be exposed for this and this but do you think there's the blame is, game yeah. is there a lobbying element to this feels like there might be a lobbying element so I speak in a personal capacity here, but there's huge amounts of lobbying. And, you know, basically this, the thing is, every, I think a lot of people naturally will see the building safety or cladding as a cladding thing. It's about health and safety. Mm. But the reality is, is that it's actually a leasehold scandal. So leasehold, we're talking about billions of pounds flowing out of ordinary people's mm. homes. Now, if you look at the history of leasehold, literally this goes back to 1066, William the Conqueror, trying to avoid a revolution. He nicks the land, but he then parcels it off to his mates, who then parcel it off into leases. So they've got this kind of form of perpetual land ownership. Right. You know, and then you'll have the serfs, then you had the Victorian middle classes in the Industrial Revolution, you know, and the descendants of William the Conqueror were uniquely well-placed because they've got a monopoly on land. Right. Land is capital. That's really important, you know. You know, when we talk about capital values, you know, rental yields, you can do so much with land Imagine, and you though. can extract so Imagine. much so much wealth out Im of land, imagine you know? for, there's so many other countries imagine for a second they talk about land rebellions but here we've sort of we've been really backwards on that we've given the vote to women in the you know 1900s yeah. you had the creation of the labor party with the trade unions and you know the sydney and beatrix web and the kind of elitists of labor bringing together but what and you know they talk about enfranchisement it's all really interesting because that's tied in with our sort of development of democracy but land was something that we never really quite got our heads around so lloyd george great you know liberal reformer chancellor then prime minister you know down in limehouse down the road from me he did a great speech and he was saying look leasehold this is not business this is blackmail mm. he said anyone that knows about law they can read these leases and they know it's a racket mm. and we need to sort it out and he tried to push this people's budget that would have basically tried to start the ball rolling on sort of a move away from feudal leasehold um, and obviously it was voted down by the laws and you know how the story went. But the thing is, is that every 10, 15 years is a great push for the laws to be changed. So in the 60s, Labour were trying to give the right to buy, as it were, before Thatcher and the council houses in the 60s to leasehold house owners. Because you had fought for, you know, mining areas where maybe the mining company um, would, would own the freeholds and they would lease out the houses to the workers right. So that was a really big step in property law. And then, quite interesting, there was a series of scandals in the 1980s. Now, it wasn't in working class kind of labor areas. It was in 
sort of Kensington and Chelsea, and it was in the kind of more right. kind of affluent upper class kind of Tory inclined bits of London. And you know what? They felt they were being absolutely rinsed on service charges. They had unaccountable managing agents and freeholders. And you know what? They were angry with Margaret Thatcher. And they said, we're not giving you our vote in 1987, Maggie, unless you sort out this leasehold business. So she commissioned a report, Lord Aldridge's report. He said there's big issues of leasehold in terms of who's doing the paying, but who's then ordering the contractors around and ordering what works need doing. There's a divorce between the financial obligations and the owning that needs to be sorted out but she then passed a law just before the 1987 election i think there is a reason why the tories are one of the most successful political parties in the sort of western or democratic world they're they're in power longer than many of many other sort of of their counterparts it's because they're ruthless of power and she passed this law to allow so it's a labor idea of basically compelling someone to sell their property to you you know, in the private citizen, they don't get a choice over it. You're, it's com- compulsion. They she applied that to flats. Right. So as you could illustrate a naughty boy in the court, you'd get an independent court appointed manager. You know how hostile council might be corrupt, and they put in commissioners. Same sort of principle. So you basically have a court appointed manager. He's not there working for the landlord. He's not working there for the leaseholders. He's there for the best interest of the estate, and he's there to manage the building for as long as you like, but two years, after the two years kicks in, you get a right to buy the freehold. And the guy, whoever he is, however much money he's worth, it doesn't matter whether he's in Bahamas or, or, or Birmingham, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So you could buy it. And then, a few years later, scoundrels are still carrying on with leasehold flats. People said, look, it's such a rigmarole, we need something easier. We need a no-fault right. John Major and a guy called George Young, who's a sir now, who's in the House of Lords, who was written off as a Che Guevara, by the spectator, they said he was a Che Guevara. Right. He was, you know, Marxist, yeah. compelling this sort of land sale. They they turned it into a no-fault right. And and now all these years later, the new Labour government in the early 2000s, they thought, look, Commonhold was supposed to be the thing in the 90s. Now there was a Tory party that was divided by Europe, you know, and that's kind of what we've had for the last few years here. Sure. So they weren't able to get Commonhold on the statute books. So it's left for New Labour and New Labour in opposition said they wanted an end to feudalism. But unfortunately, even Labour, basically there's a report on Lee Todd's partnership by a veteran activist called Shula Rich, uh, r- writing up her remarks. And she said she was in this meeting where the basically uh, leasehold advisory service at the time, yeah. taxpayer funding organisation, was told by the Home Builders Federation or one of these sort of pro-sector groups, look, if you force common hold on flats, we'll never build a single flat again. Well, we just won't build. You must give us a choice. So then it was kind of the officials, I think, and, and the minister, it was kind of like, oh, we won't have common hold then. We'll just have it on the statute books. And Lord Charles Falconer in a Labour Party fringe meeting said, look, that was a bargain. Yeah. We'd have common hold theoretically, but we wouldn't mandate it. We wouldn't ban ground rents. It would be there just for show. Mm. And all these years later now, because of all the scandals, whether it's leasehold houses, ground rents, building safety and the, 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 the missing freeholders that don't want to pay for their own buildings... All of that now, there's real interest in Commonwealth. And you've even got, you know, whatever you say about the Westbury, you know, Richard Desmond, you know, corruption scandal down in Docklands, yeah, yeah. you know, and maybe cash for access that's going on in Financial Times and the Times and Sunday Times newspapers about the donor class potentially wielding too much power over policies that affect normal people. Mm. The reality is, is that, interestingly, supposedly Jenrick has been really driving Robert Jenrick, the housing secretary, this Commonhold. So he gave a speech in Parliament recently saying, 
you know, and the thing about conservatives is if you say stuff is radical, they get all scared. Like Jeremy Corbyn said, everything was radical. Everyone's scared. I think this country naturally is a small C conservative one. Yeah. As soon as you start saying it's common sense, it's basic. Common hold is around the world. This is what Robert Jen. I can't believe I'm singing guys praises, <laughs> but there he is. And he's saying, look, it's ubiquitous around the world. Most of the common, uh, you know, common law or English speaking world, you know, Australia, New Zealand, America, Singapore, Malaysia, they all have common hold or forms of yeah. common hold. And that means that the flat owners, they own it outright. They, at the annual general meeting, will decide what they're going to be paying for the next year in concert with the professional managing agent. If they think their professional managing agent is a crook mm. or corrupt, they can then boot them out. It's easy. The problem with that, it's democracy. The problem with that is that we have this real sort of endemic culture of exceptionalism over here. And if you suggest to politicians, and let me be super clear about this, I've never suggested anything to a politician. Like, I, I'm just a guy that does a podcast, right? But my impression is... Are you more than that? that. Oh, well, thank you. You're too, you're too kind, Harry. Um, but uh, I, I get the impression that if you suggest things like this, uh, particularly to the current Tory government, that this is how yeah. things work uh, in the outside in the world. world. Yeah, this yeah. makes sense. This is efficient. Um, yeah. You, What you actually get back is this sort of feeling of exceptionalism, this feeling of like, well, we're Britain and we do it our way, you know? Um, but I think there's ways of crowbarring in the arguments about, you know, we had this whole referendum about take back control. Mm. Well, there's nothing more about take back and taking back control is democratizing home ownership right. and actually making sure that our homes are our own. Because at the moment, people are working so hard to get on the property ladder, get a mortgage. But even once you've paid that mortgage off and people really, when the penny drops, they can't believe what they've signed up for. Even once they've cleared that mortgage 30, 40, you know, maybe even 50 years mm. later, they don't own the property. They own a tenancy agreement. They own the right to occupy. They're not the owner. Yeah. They're not the property owner. The law says that. And you don't, the Law Commission have done some great reports on leasehold and commonhold reform. And they've been really honest about it. They said, look, it's not the same as outright ownership. You've got a landlord. You've got a wasting asset. Mm. You don't have the control that you would expect of being a homeowner. Yeah, yeah. And the reality is, is that if you... The Tories at the moment are obsessed with Australia. You've had the trade deal that's been signed. You know, they're talking about getting some of their meat on the British Barbie and all the rest of it. But the reality is, is that this is what's quite interesting. Why don't they look to Australia? And, and Labour under the new um, housing, Shadows Housing Secretary Lucy Powell, she did a piece in The Times, I think, very clever, saying, look, if we love Australia so much, why don't we look at what Victoria's done over the building safety crisis? Let's do it. Not, let's not leave it to the market because all these guys are going to find ways of putting on commission mm -hmm. on the taxpayer. They're not that interested in solving the crisis. They're there to profit yeah. from the crisis as much as they can and minimise their liability. Yeah. And actually what you need to do is a government, whole of government approach where literally you have kind of a delegated task force of experts. And actually when we say experts, not someone that knows about how to construct a building or is involved in engineering that knows nothing about the residential tenure and how the bills work and how, you know, managing agents work and all the rest of it. You need someone that's an actual, you need a lot of people that are experts. Yeah, yeah. You need people that are there that actually know about what this is going to mean. Because at the moment, we've got the situation of make these buildings safe without realising that the end person that's going to be picking up the tab is the leaseholder. Mm. And yet they have no say or control over the bills. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, th they've basically been pushing and I'm, you know, Labour, I'm, you know, I've not got a horse in this race, but they've been saying, look, just copy Victoria because they've already got an oven ready deal. You just copy a lot of the same principles and, and apply it over. Same with Commonhold. But Robert Jenrick, as to his credit, he's now got, got the Commonhold mm. 
you know, is potentially the way of, you know, saving the Conservative Party's home ownership credentials. They obviously need to move on building safety and cladding because we're going to have lots of bankruptcies otherwise. It would be or, you a know, great way of him saving his own integrity as well. I mean, <laughs> like he's... And actually deflecting from some of the scandals that has basically ensnared him. And, you know, it might help him move on to, a, you know, a, a better post in Cabinet. The reality is, is that... But the problem is, is that there's so much money in other people's homes... Mm. Maybe a form of watered-down commonhold, or we might get commonhold on new builds, but the big money is still in the leasehold at the moment. Yeah. And for all of those of us, you know, like my mum, we're going to be stuck with kind of unscrupulous freeholders for forever. And actually, the laws might not really help us it's, to really break free from hold. I suppose what amazes me, um, it amazes me, and yet it no longer shocks me, is uh, that within the the upper echelons the the circular boardroom tables of these house building companies um and and again look i'm i don't know anything for a fact i'm not i'm not libeling or You're slandering there, you know exactly. i'm just suggesting playfully speculating that yeah, maybe exactly. in, in on the 27th floor of barrett hq or you know wherever or yeah, michael okay. shanley homes maybe there might be conversations floating around where they say like yeah, look, should we should we build like a thousand new flats over in this area in this land that we've acquired? And somebody else says, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds good." Okay, well, what's a thousand times like whatever they're going to sell it for? Um, that that's yeah. our profit. Okay, wicked. And then we'll employ a sort of management company to take care of the you know keeping the place maintained and um and then and then that's our. Pro but then some guy just like puts up his hand and then says like, "Oi, what if we um what if we sold off like the our responsibilities?" to just some like private equity thing as an asset in its own but then they would just i mean like they would shirk their responsibilities but like you would imagine that that sort of that's conversation would but that's arise. the business model they literally you go back to that parliamentary select committee yeah. the house housing select committee and you've got some of the big bosses literally admitting yeah their policy is to sell the freeholds from underneath mm. their feet and you've got or blackman uh mp a tory mp for harrow west harrow west harry so always mix them up and he's literally he's just flabbergasted he can't believe it he's yeah. like you know this doesn't sound right. And they, the thing is, what's legal isn't moral. Yeah. So this whole system, we've got about eight, 16 different bits of legislation. And every time our MPs try and reform leasehold, yeah. it's just sticking plaster upon sticking plaster. It doesn't get rid of the fact that you've got a landlord and tenant relationship. And for as long as you have a landlord yeah. that's controlling the service charges, you're always going to have issues yeah. with them. They're sweating the asset, pocketing the fees making the building run down, that affects your capital value. It affects your rental yield. Mm. Renters don't want to live in an apartment building where the taps aren't working or they can't get a shower yeah. because the pipe yeah. systems haven't or, been working. Or work, the lawn uh, hasn't been mown. Well. It's probably a, a super... That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. Or the building not be maintained. So, And you know what? Also, it will affect your rental yield when the service charge keeps going mm. up. You're not going to be able to get what you used to get for that property because you're having to cover. And renters should be really interested in this leasehold issue because... That those service charges do find their way into the rents. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's only so much that the market can absorb it, in terms it, of rents, but it, landlords will will try and up the rent to try and cover themselves with the service charge that goes through the roof. It, it reminds me of there's there's a scene in uh, People versus O.J. Simpson, that American Crime Story uh, series, where yeah, lawyers yeah. are all talking to each other in a uh, room out the back of the courtroom or something, and then I think. Yeah. Uh, uh sarah can't remember her surname now but the like the actress that plays uh the prosecutor is just like yeah, yeah that we, we he had previous you know he beat he, he beat his wife in like 1981 yeah. or, or something like that and then the defense attorney says like yeah i mean like 
technically it wasn't illegal to beat your wife then and then like she goes like you realize you like you just said that out loud like that's that's and it's like that's, but that's the difference. thing there's such a disconnect isn't yeah. there so i was in a meeting recently with a, with a developer and i won't name who because i'll get into probably lots of trouble but i said i mentioned this common whole concept and he said cute little concept the rest of the world does it but he said england and wales will never let go of the drug of leasehold developers mm. and he also said lawyers benefit so much from leasehold because it's all these little bits of paper there's a lease here even in an apartment building you'll have so many different types of leases even within the same development mm. you might have one set of leases with a ground rent of a certain amount and then because someone bought a load of flats in one go might be an institutional buy to let mm. you know landlord they were able to get the ground rent at half the price so That's... but you've got the problem is the beauty of common hold is that once you've seen one common hold agreement, yeah. people take a few rules about, you know, one development might not allow pets or whatever. You've kind of seen them all. But with leasehold, they're all different. You know, you know, they're not standardized, you know, and the lawyers are needed to unravel the, the complexity of it all. The lawyers are needed whenever there's a dispute. Whereas in common hold, you're going to have residents fighting like rats in the sack. Absolutely. That's the nature of human life and communal living. When you mm. put a load of people together in one property, they might have a different interest, but the reality is they don't have different interests. They all want to sell their property for what they got it for or even more. So if you don't maintain the building and the building becomes a slum, mm. capital values go down, rental yeah. yields go down. So, And the reality is then, even if they're deferring major work schemes, they then start doing it or they'll get the better managing agent in. So enlightened self-interest eventually does kick in. Yeah. Whereas here, we may want to do all sorts of things with our building and have our service charge even higher. Don't think we would in our block, but we we've not got the means to do that. Yeah, yeah. Because we've got some guy in Monaco that we can't control. We've pleaded with him to meet his representative down on earth. We'll never meet their guy, his guys. All we'll meet is a managing agent who yeah. say on a lot of issues we don't do that. We don't place the insurance. Yeah. We don't deal with the utilities. We just stick it on your service charge. And, how... and managing agents aren't regulated either. So how... I could tomorrow up a managing agent mm. uh, company. I could have a criminal record the, f the following day I'm money. Mm. Now, you tell me anywhere else in the economy where that's allowed. It's completely Wild West. I wouldn't even call it capitalism. It's literally like extortion racket, some yeah. of what's going on in leasehold, whether it's managing agents who know the laws are really crusty and dated on this. And, you know, the reality is you could be found guilty by a tribunal. A tribunal is not a court. Yeah, yeah. They've not got the resources to go on. And it's all about the individual little cases. It's not really... You, you don't have a license to operate. So how, it could be anyone who could handle all this money. How um, how standard would you say the the practice of just hiking service charges and ground rent or, or you know, that, that sort of racket, like, you know, you buy it for this figure, but then you have to factor in it's going to double every And the five thing years. is, it's a shame because it all goes back to data. And if the government don't want to collect that data, it's very hard for kind of small you know charities or campaign groups to collate it but yeah. i'll go back to that thing about jim fitzpatrick he was basing on which data which only assumed two million leasehold properties now we understand there's about 6.5 million right. but at that time it was two uh, two million leasehold properties they had already jim fitzpatrick my old mp had bumped it up to about four and a half million say leasehold properties now that was i think it was about 1.4 billion pounds of overcharging a year to leaseholders now it will have gone up since then, then what's that what's that divided by that number is that that's a good question but so that was when i think the housing stock it was about 16 percent. so it's about i'll get the thing up now because i've got it here 
But the thing is, is that there needs to be way more research and data into it. Mm. There needs to be audits and surveys and all the rest of it. Let me get it up here. Well, it's here fine. We go. Yeah, so I, I, I was just sort of curious to know like, what your recommendation is for people who are engaging with the help to buy or, or like flat buying process at the moment. Well, the thing is, I've got friends that are looking at buying a flat and I'm literally, and it's such a tricky one because I've spoken to journalists about this who are leaseholders themselves. And they say, if you say don't buy leasehold, you basically are saying never own a home. Mm. And you know what? I said it to the BBC a few years ago. Look, stay renting for now. Mm. Stay with a landlord that you can get rid of by moving property. And especially now, especially if you're looking at London, mm. you know, rents have dropped because people have wanted to get out of London and get out of the city centres. So actually, you've got a lot more power as a renter now than yeah. you did before. The reality is the landlords are selling up because they're not able to get the renters anymore. Yeah. They're cutting their rents massively because of the pandemic. The reality is I would say stay renting for now, save up as much as you can. And the reality is go for common hold. Let's get this common hold on the statute mm. book because there's nothing better than owning your own home. And with leasehold, you don't. So you have all of the responsibilities, all of the financial risks and obligations and none of the autonomy of owning. Yeah. So you're basically, sure. it's, you know what? I say to my mates that are around this, you know, a bit older than me where they've got the money together and they're, you know, they might not be working for a charity. They might be working for, you know, PwC or, you know, one of the big banks where they're on the beautiful, glorious grad schemes. But the reality is, is that they know it themselves as well, that you are, and I say it to them, you are giving your checkbook mm. to someone you don't know, mm -hmm. you may never meet in your life, and you're just trusting that they won't abuse your trust. And that's what leasehold is. Mm. You're basically buying a, a tenancy agreement, and it's all right if you can take a, a risk and you think, look, I might only have that flat for three or four years, then I'll sell it on. Yeah. But if you, get, if you get caught carrying the baby, whether it's cladding, whether it's build defects, whether it's snagging, or whether it's just service charge issues, and you, your service charges double, yeah. they quadruple in six years, you're really in trouble because no one will want that one bed flat when they can get a new one bed flat, as I said, for, for you know brand new, sparkling new flat, and the service charges are half what you've got them for. And especially if you're stuck with a one bed, there's yeah. so much competition with one beds and we see it in London Docklands. It's like the market's overheated. Yeah. So what I'd say is wait, because we're looking at common hold in the next year or two, but actually get involved with leasehold not his partnership with national leasehold campaign with Endar cladding, because you know what? It affects you now as a renter. Mm. Spraying service charges, it does mean higher rents. Do you, do, you, do you guys keep a list of sort of um, like approved builders and managing agents like that sort so of stuff? So Knowledge Partnership, it's the only one that's an organisation out there that's got kind of an accreditation scheme basically of, you know, genuine, decent, you know, people that are running businesses that know that leasehold is basically a kind of a bent system, corrupt system. Mm. And it's like it almost pays to be a bit dodgy. But these guys have actually taken a risk by actually wanting to get most of their money mm. from mm. leaseholders and resident controlled blocks and not just from developers. And some of them on the list literally will not work with developers because they don't want to be doing the developers' dirty work by covering up all the build defects, yeah, climbing yeah. the warranties out for two years, and then just working with the new freeholder who's some private equity guy, you know, who, who, wherever, Monaco or, or Jersey or whatever, or Guernsey. They don't want to do that, and they don't want their reputation sullied by that, and they don't want to be there to play the fiddle of cranking up the service charges. They want to be accountable to the leaseholders, and they want to work for leaseholders. And they also know which way the wind is blowing. Mm. All of the law commission reforms are envisioning a world of freehold ownership. Mm. And commonhold actually is a form of freehold yeah. ownership, but for flats. So they're seeing it as fit-for-purpose home ownership. And for the law commission, they're saying it's either freehold for houses, 
and the government are banning leasehold houses going forward mm -hmm. and they're banning ground rents going forward as well yeah um, or it's going to be common hold for flats and it's up for the government to decide whether they mandate common hold or they clean up the legislation on common hold which the law commission is proposing and you kind of have leasehold and common hold coexisting the problem is is that the the, the, the choice will not be with consumers developers will still unless they're forced to part with the freeholds they'll do what you know and this is not you know uh, smearing Ballymore or, or Berkeley homes but they're well known for keeping the freeholds yeah that's their business model they keep the freeholds because they believe in the custodial role of freeholding they believe that they want the sites looking pretty with the gardens and you know they might have some events that you know residents can enjoy with paints you know paint face painting with the kids and sparklers right. and yeah. all the rest of it so unless you force the developers to part of the freeholds I, my own personal view is that the leasehold racket will keep going mm. so the government needs to say look we're going to have a sunset clause on leasehold by 2025 maybe all new flats going forward a common hold then that gives enough time for common hold 2.0 people are calling it or the minister calls it full-throated common hold so the law commission is to take effect and then if there's some issues you can iron it out in time for mandating it yeah yeah i see but then okay so let's take a a slightly more um i don't know like unicorny rainbowy um uh route that, that no doubt many tory mps many house of lords um landlord types might, landlords yeah might um might prefer which is is to sort of lean into this free market ideology which is where well look okay maybe there is a big problem with with leaseholding maybe leasehold. and 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 freeholders keeping hold of that and 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 selling it off and then profiting yeah, yeah. with the service charges etc service charges maybe, insurance may, commissions yeah maybe that, maybe it is yeah. rife with with racketeering but that is an opportunity for somebody like and i'm literally pulling a name out of my yeah. ass here right uh, somebody like Richard Branson, who is well known for making a big spectacle of himself and for entering industries that are already actually quite mature, like Virgin yeah. Cola, like Virgin Airways, like yeah. uh, Virgin Radio. Records, and, yeah. yeah, entering an industry that's quite mature and then just putting his sheen on it. Now, if he did something like he entered, um, you know, property ownership with a with a high profile and built, I don't know, new ten, build apartments, yeah, yeah, like yeah, new yeah. build apartments, and he said, you know, we know what's going on in the industry and we want to do it the right way the ethical way um we'll forget we'll just sideline for a sec that he sued the nhs we'll just forget that for a minute he's, yeah, got, yeah, he's yeah. gone super ethical yeah. um and and he decides that he's gonna you know loads of pr all over it that they are not going to go down the um the, the common hold route. Yeah, route. Yeah. oh they're not going down the racketeering, no. but they're not doing common hold either um well they're let's gonna just go say, down the leasehold route or yeah, is it like, up to them to decide like why well i suppose it's it's up to them really like why would they like would they make so that's sufficient what some money conservative mps would say leave it to the market so let's get common hold perfected we get the law commission's version of common hold common hold 2.0 on the statute books and then you let developers decide some might be more comfortable with leasehold for whatever reason mm. we've got rid of the ground rents so the real gout you know the real terrible ground rent scandal won't happen again and then we're going to regulate managing agents was, is, is on the cards. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to make it easier, cheaper and, and faster um, to basically buy your freeholds. So even those that are on new build leasehold blocks going forward, because they've got zero ground rent, it will be less to compensate the freeholder. And there'll be a new model and formula that will mean that the costs, you won't pay that the landlord's legal fees, where at the moment, if you want to buy your freehold out or extend your lease, you're paying his legal and professional, which 
really adds a lot of costs onto it. So yeah. they'll say, look, we've got all the law commission, but let the developers, or no, they won't say let the developers. They're not that silly or dumb. They'll say, let the consumer decide. But the yeah, problem yeah. is, my argument is the consumer never decides. The developer chooses for them. If they think leasehold is more profitable and they can come up with all the marketing spiel about we, we, you know, we're doing leasehold, but we're doing 999 year leases, zero ground rent. Yeah. You know, they may even entice buyers by saying you've got a resident management company, so you've got control over the managing agent. Yeah. But the reality is they could still be doing stuff with insurance commissions yeah. of up to 80%, even 100%, yeah. which sometimes in charity. Well, the- They're also doing license and permission fees. You want to change your renter, you have to pay a £1,000, yeah. please. Different little wheezes. They also might lend against the freehold. So they're extracting income in another way. So there's all these different things. And I think most developers, they won't even put a resident management company in. They'll keep the freehold and they'll have the management control. Mm. So I think, you know what? This is what I would say to the conservatives. You are the self-styled party of home ownership. You've always banged the drum on home ownership. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is and actually bring England and Wales into line with the rest of the world? Because all our former colonies have gotten rid of it. And even those that still have a leasehold, you know what? It's a form of land value capture. It's a way of authoritarianism. Mm. It, you know, you look at Singapore and, you, you know, Singapore is a good example. Hong Kong as well. China used leasehold. But it's a way of basically controlling the commanding heights of the economy. You don't have an independent landlord or business class because they've not got access to land capital. Mm. So the thing is, but they don't. Whether you do have a leasehold, you might buy a, a private flat, say, now, it might be a 99-year lease, but day-to-day management control is with the pay, pay, the consumers, do we, you know, the service do, payers. So it's not our leasehold. If, We're the only countries that have this idea that you have an investor yeah. in someone else's apartment buildings and service charge. Do we, um, if I just put my tinfoil hat on for a second, do we have or do you have a stat or like sort of percentage split over how many flats we build? that are susceptible to this kind of stuff versus how many houses that are built because it'd be really interesting to know if there has been a sort of a swing towards building new builds where conservative party donors who happen to be in these big house building who benefit from this shit have aggressively moved more and more into an area where they're going to make a shit ton of money out of leasehold um because if like that would be quite damning wouldn't it it would be damning, but there's been scandals before. So David Cameron's aristocratic half-brother-in-law, Lord Viscount, or Lord Astor, no, that's it, Lord Astor. Basically, you know, it's a lord again, yeah. but he runs uh, Long Harbour, Adriatic Land. They're one of the biggest ground rent investors, I think, in the country. And they have been the ones that have been kind of hoovering up the freeholds to leasehold flat, uh, you know, apartment buildings, but also leasehold houses. So my friend Katie Kendrick, who's a paediatric nurse, does 18-hour shifts, specialised in mental health. She's been running the National Leasehold Campaign, was the founder of it with, uh, and then uh, Kate, Kath and Joe j- joined. But basically her freehold was, and I think it still is actually, she's in the process of buying the freehold, owned by David Cameron's aristocratic brother-in-law. Oh. And they were doing a lot of the help to buy properties. So, yeah. you know, I'm not alleging corruption or anything like that, but policy, politics is all about who wins and who loses. Yeah. And the reality is, is that leasehold houses was an obvious scam and it was being allowed, and it was basically mushrooming under help to buy. Mm. Uh, basically, there was huge amounts of houses. But in terms of the a num- number, I've got a stat for you here from the land registry. So 
Between July 2017 and 18, it's a bit dated now, new build leasehold sales represented 44% of all new build value, new build by value, yeah. and 38% by number of properties. So there was a huge mushrooming. This is before, you know, this is after Brexit. This is kind of before the regulatory fallout from Grenfell really has hit the new build flats market and frozen mm. it with this sort of thing called an EWS one form. But the reality is it's huge amounts of money. Uh, there was a piece in the Times, I think it was something like, uh, Grenfell developers hand Tories 2.5 million pounds since Grenfell, you know, and there's there's other things. LKP's even admit, uh, written this. There's an insurance executive called Michael Wade. Mm. Now, Michael Wade is an insurance executive, sure, but he's also a donor to the Conservative Party, mm. and he's been given a cushy advisory role on how to deal with the cladding and building safety crisis, and he's insisting that loans must go to leaseholders. Yeah. Now, the Times, or the, no, it's the Sunday Times, Martina Lees has written that he's got a palatial, you know, big sort of mansion house kind of thing, yeah. you know, in the, in the country's land. But there's an element of, he wasn't elected. Why is mm. he getting to decide? And maybe he'll firmly demi- deny that he's deciding the policy. Maybe he's there, he'll say, just to offer advice to the ministers. But the reality is, is that... He's given a lot of money to the Tory party. It's, it's there in the Sunday Times. I'm not making this up. You can Google mm-hmm. it. Martina Lees. But then people's lives and livelihoods are in the hand of this man, potentially, because he's giving the advice to do loans. And also insurance companies, you could argue, are happy with loans because they're not having to pay out. They're also making lots of money, potentially, on spiralling insurance premiums. But that's also because they're scared of the market with the whole Grenfell. Yeah. But also this issue of hidden commissions. They're allowing these huge commissions. The FCA are not really that interested in it. I don't think the CMA have been taking action on that. You know, the Law Commission, it wasn't part of their work. Mm. MHCLG don't seem to be that interested. So there you go. And, you know, people are paying crazy premiums for the cladding issues, but they may also, the premiums are so high because they've got commissions in there that they don't know of 40, maybe even 60%, 80%. You know, and insurance companies, they're not really doing anything to, uh, with that scandal they're not trying to crack down on it they're potentially enabling it yeah they're allowing the freeholder to place the contract with them and so and the broker and to siphon off the money so then you've got a guy who's heavily influenced and and, and now you've got that. a heavily guy who's a sector yeah. guy who's going to defend the sector interests yeah, yeah. i mean to some and is advising to the government loans and, and lkp and other groups have said mm. look loans won't work number one because you'll completely trash the property market but number two what happens where you have a loan already placed on the freehold by the freeholder? Mm. So, you know, in our block, it's quite interesting. Our block, we have a, a loan on the freehold title. Now, whose loan would take pre- pre- uh, priority? Who, whose loan would come first? Would it be the MHCLG loan? And also, this is interesting, it's going to be a £50 a month capped, mm. but it's only going to cover cladding. Now, for a lot of people, cladding is just the beginning of their issues. They might have missing fire breaks. Now, the government have got nothing to say on that. They're just saying, oh, we've got the loans yeah. and the grant funding. Where anyone under 18 meters, uh, is it 18? Yeah, 18 meters. They're not going to be able to to get that grant funding anyway. Yeah. So they're stuck yeah. these loans that is just going to trash their value. But Michael Wade is saying, no, loans are good. Yeah. And they're supposed to announce in the budget and there was nothing. Yeah. It's all gone yeah. quiet because I don't think they know how to work it. Do you get the sense that this get- is like uh, COVID and Brexit and, and basically every other scandal in in different in so far only that this hasn't really bubbled up to the surface yet like this is this is something that is going to breach the periphery of 
of media scandals in the coming months because eventually like you you mentioned before there'll be a hundred then there'll be a fa- uh, 500 a thousand somebody will jump out a window i think when the numbers start coming in yeah because the media to their credit are already very sympathetic you even have for example the spectator magazine mm. you know back in the 90s was slagging off a tory government for introducing this right to buy or collective enfranchisement right. saying sir George young was a che guevara there they are really leading on this they've done some great reporting opinion pieces, letters, pages, all the rest of it. They even did a cover Mm. uh, saying, I think it was like the New Build Mafia or something like that, about this cartel of PLC house builders restricting supply, you know, just making sure that these houses and flats are as expensive as they are, hoovering up the freeholds or keeping the freeholds. It's all, you know, all quite murky stuff. And they are saying, look, party of home ownership, they're now basically washing their hands of all these people that are probably naturally Tory-inclined voters. You know, potentially people that you could win, you know, in the olden days. And now they've been completely been radicalized against you. I mean, they even have amazing uh, journalists there called Emma Byrne. But she's actually personally affected yeah. by the planning and building safety crisis. I mean, The Telegraph, that's another interesting one. Only about a year or two ago, they were saying to undermine the Law Commission re- reforms that we have to be fair to freehold owners. So these are sort of offshore kind of speculators. And now... They've got a cluster of amazing journalists that are really pushing every day on stories about leasehold, cladding, service charge abuse, all the rest of it. So all of the centre-right newspapers and magazines, the Daily Mail, they were the ones partly that, you know, the government are the most scared of the Daily Mail and also the Telegraph, but really Daily Mm. Mail. They were the ones that managed to get a load of more money into this building safety fund. They've been really pushing on this. So the media are sympathetic, Mm. the BBC, everyone. But the problem is, is we've not got enough of the human interest stories of people actually going bankrupt. So there's a lady up in the north of England, lovely young woman, I think 27, 28, called Hayley, Hayley Tillotson. She had an initial burst of media publicity, but she's over in Leeds. She's bankrupt now because of a government policy. Mm. That's what it comes down to. I think she's going to come down to London. And the reality is is that there's going to be more Hayleys. And there probably are more Haley's already out there that are too shy to do media. And they're thinking, no, I don't want to talk about my sorry tale embarrassed about well, it's it. like you said earlier she can't open up a bank account she can't get a mobile phone contract is it implications for relationships yeah, there yeah you know it's huge we're going to ruin people's lives but i was speaking to a journalist recently they were saying look is it more of a poll tax or is it more of a bedroom tax because a bedroom tax it was horrific for those that were being mm-hmm. affected but it didn't really shift the political mm-hmm. dial didn't really bring down a government whereas the poll tax there was something just so unfair about mm-hmm. it but it affected more people than the bedroom tax. And it actually did kind of bring down Margaret Thatcher, changed policy in the end on John Major. So what is it going to be? And I'm thinking at the moment, maybe it's more of a bedroom tax. But when the bankruptcy start happening, and I don't think you really ever got major kind of mass bankruptcies of the, even though it was horrific and pernicious, you didn't really get that. And also it wasn't affecting sort of Tory voters. It sounds terribly cynical, yeah. but it wasn't. And, and now you get... Tory voters, and over in Amersham and Chesham by-elections, quite interesting, there was a trend that wasn't picked up. There were some people there that voted for the Lib Dem candidate to give the Tories a bloody nose because, as you said, you've got friends that scrimped, saved, sweated to get on the property Mm. ladder. The reality is is that big thing of people getting on the property ladder is a bank of mum and dad. Now, there are lots of mums and dads out there that help their kids get onto the property ladder in London, but they're being affected too. And they were down in Cheshire and Amersham and one of the guys wrote into, I think it's called Peter Wilcox, into the Daily Telegraph. He said, I cannot vote for a party, and I've voted them my whole life, 
that want to preserve this feudal leasehold mm. system that basically sucks money out of my daughter, but also aren't doing anything honourable on the building safety. So I think if you get it into about basically dignity and being honourable, mm. and a government that's supposed to be for party of homeowners that said one thing, we're going to protect all leaseholders, and then the ne next yeah. minute we're forcing loans and making them bankrupt, I think that can transcend even those that are not affected by yeah, it directly. Yeah. So th this is something that I've been uh, tapping into on a, a, a couple of podcasts and a couple of TikToks and stuff is the, the thing with the, it sounds like with the, the cladding and, and the leasehold uh, scandal, but it's also true of the housing crisis more broadly in the sense that um, this is a problem that originally the perception was oh it's just hitting people who were on low incomes it's just you know oh it's a, the girl that works in the chip shop can't get a mortgage well boo-hoo um equity trap anyway we've not really got much sympathy right. for them if they can't afford to buy outright they shouldn't be buying at yeah all. So that's the, 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 the problem with that is that as we get uh, is we don't solve the problem of like say supply and demand and building enough houses and building enough suitable houses uh, the, the problem actually starts to bleed out into different demographics than the ones that we originally didn't have an awful lot of sympathy for, electorally speaking, right? So then you get into a situation where it starts to affect the uh, like the, the, the people who are just starting out in their careers, the sort of, I, I don't want to use the phrase like lower middle class, but kind of, you know, like the... the um, Mobile yeah. bases, they might have a degree, maybe, or whatever. Yeah, they're... right. Like, you'll you have a sort of, like, you know, a team leader in an estate agent, or you'll have, uh, you know, the duty yeah. manager in a bowling alley or, or whatever, and they're, they're earning, like, let's say 27K, 30K, and it starts to trouble them yeah. and frustrate uh, their ability yeah. to get a mortgage. And, and even then, a lot of people would be like, well, you know, when I was 27, I just kept my head down and I saved, and it wasn't easy, but blah, blah, blah. And stop um, the eating the avocados and all of that right, sort of stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and and that's all fine, well, and good yeah. when you're just talking about a boomer electorate from the ages of let's say sixty up to eighty, um, because they think back to their youth and they think, well, it wasn't easy for me, but you know, I I somehow I managed it. Um, yeah. And we're just talking about people who are at the beginnings of their careers. The problem comes when we get into this demographic of of middle class earners who mm -hmm. buy the telegraph who buy the express for the times the sunday right. times all yeah. of that yeah. and 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 that includes and engulfs journalists and the sons and daughters that's of why they're covering it because the journalists yeah. being affected personally now in a way that they may not have been three or four years ago precisely yeah and you're talking yeah. about surgeons you're talking about gps yeah. we know a fucking gp like we we lodged in um in peckham for just over a year at my girlfriend's parents um and like while we were saving and you know trying to sort this place out yeah. um and and there was a gp there who had like four kids and he was still fucking renting um, yeah and he cannot he can never dream of buying a house so i'm told uh you know i didn't speak to him personally but he was yeah, a yeah. Sort of, you know family gp friend of my mother-in-law's and uh and and when it comes knocking on the doors of uh, traditionally middle class or like yeah. upper middle class Public, incomes yeah. that is when a party in government like the tory party is doomed and and yeah. yeah and and i say this specifically of the current tory party because yeah. of the attributes that you've attached to them where we're talking about the party of home home and build 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 and all yeah. of this build like, back better and all of and this stuff help yeah. to buy and you know how, how many fucking years have we talked about like 
well, house prices are getting a little bit crazy. What can we do about house prices? How are we going to get people on the ladder? But it never, ever, ever seems to result in sufficient house building that the value of it is tempered or stalled in any way. It just seems to be like it's like the value of houses and flats in London was tempered slightly by the pandemic for the reasons yeah. that you laid out. People want to get out of the city. There's they more, more space. Yeah. 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 Um, but but over the last 20 years and, and let's you know, we won't discount new labor in this new labor failed. Spectacular. House price growth was just obscene. Right. Yeah. So there's been this huge sort of generational property dividend by the boomer generation. Mm. Not it's not their fault, but they are beneficiaries. No, yeah, of yeah. It. it became their pension for, for, for yeah. yeah. Um, they were in the right place at the right time. And now they've made, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds. Uh, and I always joke and say, like, you know, I mean, really, mum, that's the that's the money that I'm now expected to front yeah, <laughs> for a fucking deposit. So how about a sub? Uh, but um, I mean, I'm I am joking. Like I'm I'm we're fine. Uh, but um, but yeah. So I, I I suppose my point there is that tr traditionally this was a problem that that was easily dismissed as a problem of the the working classes, and and now it's a problem that is yeah. knocking on the doors of Telegraph journalists that you mentioned and Times. And wages haven't caught up with the house price sort of inflation or growth. And mm. the thing is, is that I was reading recently about there are more people have paid off the mortgage than actually have a mortgage on a property. Mm. So there's a huge mm. issue there in England, basically where most people that are, are homeowners, they literally are better off. They've cleared the mortgage yeah. over those that basically, you know, are, are, have just started their journey on home ownership. But the thing is, another thing, you're always going to let people down if you want to build more homes. And you've seen the war over planning reform. Yeah. Now, my personal view is I'm not sure I love it anyway, because basically it's kind of be, you know, People are saying it's a developer's charter and all the rest of it. But the reality is, is that developers will go into where it's profitable build and sell. So they're going to start dumping more of their cheap houses in St. Albans, parts of Hertfordshire, which are very attractive for people to live in, especially post pandemic. And they're going to have much better markups there than in London, where it's a bit of a nightmare trying to develop the land and buy, you know, compulsory purchase or, you know, uh, compensate the, the landowners and all the rest of it. The reality is, is that, and there's been a big backlash in places like Cheshire and Amersham, but lots of parts of the South, because people might have had a green field next to their house. Right. They don't want that just being automatically turned into a load of houses or even a medium rise block. They don't want that. Mm. And the reality is these reforms that are being pushed through, basically there's no role for the local community to try and block developments. It's very much going to be front loaded. Mm. So as long as there's kind of a uniform look and feel to developments, whether they're houses or flats, and it's all sort of, um, they're talking about design codes and all the rest of it. Once that's all locked in and agreed democratically by the community, mm. as long as the land is for development, developers can just put their, you know, um, cranes in the sky and, and start building. Mm. So there's not really any ability for you to come back if you think you're going to have your view blocked or you're going to have some towering, you know, imposing apartment building on top of you. There's none of that. So the thing is, there's an element of, Yes, we have to build more. Yes, that's going to mean prices are going to go down. Mm. Do I think the planning reforms that is kind of just going to be a kind of another wealth transfer to, uh, to PLC house builders and, 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 and sort of boardroom pay and shareholders and all of that? I don't think that's a good thing. It's like help to buy. Yeah. Help to buy stoked a lot of demand. Yeah. It also prices up, but it didn't massively, I don't think, increase kind of output. It wasn't really increasing huge amounts of housing. Mm. Because it was only a new build as well. When you buy a new build, 
you automatically lose there's like a new build premium of 20 percent that just disappears yeah yeah so it's all a little bit of a fiddle i think it helped to buy anyway and you looked at was it the fair burn guy who got a huge bonus they're not really i don't think they're there to they're not charities these guys no so what you probably need to do is more social housing so people that maybe are not in my situation or you know more middle class background situation where they might be able to live in london or you know south london kind of maybe rent free or subsidized because it's their parents place yeah. and then they can save up even if it's on a low income job and or maybe they're on a grad scheme and saving huge amounts because on rent but why don't people do that in social housing but that's because we're not building enough and even harold mcmillan was building huge amounts of social housing and then it got the the, the private sector could compete because you kind of had a standard they were actually quite yeah. you go down some of the blocks now brick yeah, I know it sounds funny, but they've lasted really well. And you compare that to the new social housing, or oh, yeah. housing association blocks, or even luxury developments. So, you so just think, Whoa, is that the your quality is just different? Is is that your sort of like how would you fix this? Because I'll I'll give you the context as 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 I understand it. Right, is that over the last twenty years we failed spectacularly to build sufficient numbers of houses, and that has then created this sort of synthetic bubble. And, and the value of a home, whether it's a flat or a house, has soared as a result of that. And, and when I talk about that sort of generational, ge- generational equity kind of dividend, then that's sort of what it like. These, these people of a certain demographic are the beneficiaries of, of the soaring of that, that, that value. Um, now, where we're at now, it seems to me like we're too deep in the hole in that. So where I live, uh, a house price for a three-bed house is somewhere between, depending on which street you're on, three to four hundred k. Right now, if somebody says to me, "I'm a, a, yeah about an hour and a quarter on the train out of London," actually no, it's about one hour exactly, and then a quarter to get into the city. So yeah, one hour out of London. Yeah. Right. So now three hundred to four hundred k. And somebody says we're going to build uh, a thousand new homes nearby. Now, the 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 uh, you know idealistic uh, socialist within me says, "Great, people need homes." Um, the cold-hearted capitalist Tory in me says, "That's really terrible because my home, the value of my house, might go down because, yeah, people are going to look at my house, my three-bed house, and they're going to say, well, I could get that.'" Or I could go down the road and there's, you know, new stock. Now, there's an argument to be made, case to be made there, that people like older houses, and we live in a 1930s jobby. Right. They last better. They're more solid. Um, you don't have the like new build cardboard wall cliche to worry about. Um, so so there's that. But there's, there's definitely a case to be made that if you suddenly inject a huge amount of stock into the market, then you kill this sort of supply and demand soaring of value you do though because if you don't deal with demand mm. and that also lots of countries i mean even justin trudeau is trying to be re-elected on this kind of foreign spec or overseas speculators mm. tax the reality is new zealand you've got a left-wing government there in jacinda Ardern, who everyone that loves the guardian you know all going all jacinda all amazing but the reality <laughs> is foreign ownership right of property singapore hong kong australia parts of Canada, you've got left-wing governments or even right-wing governments. It doesn't really matter. It's not actually a political left-right issue. They're putting in overseas or foreign buyers' Mm. levies. It's not about a foreigner. It's about those that are not domiciled in the Mm. country that are there to buy property as an investment vehicle 
they should pay more. And that money can then either be reinvested into social housing or that money's there as a kind of cooling effect. So Singapore, I think they had a foreign buyer's levy. Or over, I, so I was lucky to grow up in Singapore. They're quite interesting on housing policy and they always have been. You know, and they've always wanted to say that they're open to the world. It doesn't matter who you are. They're not little Singapore. They're at the heart of global capitalism. If you want to, you know, park your money in Singapore, we'll let you with open arms. They'll even allow people like, you know, Robert Mugabe, you know, ex-dictator of wow. Zimbabwe, loads of slightly dodgy regimes to come in there and they wouldn't bat yeah. an eyelid. They'd have to be happy for it. But anyway, they started, I think, at 5%. And they worked out as such a great revenue raiser. And, you know, again, co correlation, not causation, but they were generally thinking that the officials in government, actually there was some relationship between the foreign buyer's levy or overseas buyer's mm -hmm. levy. They called it, uh, I think it's stamp duty, uh, additional stamp duty buyer's levy, right. they called it. So if you're a foreigner, you, well, number one, a foreigner can't buy a landed house in Singapore. You can only That's buy an funny, apartment. Yeah. If you're a foreigner, you're an overseas investor. But also, if you're going to buy an apartment, so it was initially 5%, then when I think 10%, 15%, now they're at 20%. And they do find that that is helping because it's it's reducing. The reality is you've got all these Londoners here. They've not got a chance, especially on the one beds, when you've got a, a Singaporean doctor, you know, or a Hong Kong dentist, you know, and you've got everyone fleeing Hong Kong now because of the tyranny of what's going on over there. They're all looking at apartments. They're all looking at houses. And it's not a racist thing to say this. Literally, you've got Jay Cinder in bloody New Zealand. You've got Justin Trudeau, you know, the bleeding heart mm. liberals. And they've even put, they're putting in cooling measures to try and deal with speculation in the property mm. market. And, you know, it's something that it would go down really well in the red wall, 100%. But you, you I think there's, there's not been, I don't think, focus groups done of Londoners. But I think you'd get Londoners of all backgrounds, all faiths, all classes all uniting behind something and even the government now have brought one in at three percent but three percent is so yeah. marginal it's not going to really change you know shift the dial on that you also want to obviously build more properties yeah you are absolutely that's a key thing but also thinking about and going back to leasehold if you can potentially get a mortgage great and mortgage availability is there but the reality is, is that if the charges are so usurious and so unregulated and uncapped that affects affordability of the property as well. And a lot of these banks, they start getting jittery because initially they signed up to 2,000, maybe with the leeway of up to 4,000. But when they start going higher and higher, and I think you're talking about the housing ladder, before people would get the flat, they'd be there for two or three years, then they'd move up, they'd move further out of London, then they'd marry the wife, they'll have the kids, they've yeah. moved out of the flat. But now... The BBC, uh, I think it's James Peachy, the finance reported in a piece the other year, that actually first-time buyers, because they're on average much mm. older than their counterparts in the 80s and 90s, even to early yeah. 2000s, they're actually leapfrogging flats altogether. And that's related to the leasehold scandal, but it's also space. They already know that they're probably not going to be moving houses so many mm. times. They might as well have more space to begin with. And now with the pandemic, people want more space. They want that you know, study if they can afford it, you know, a, a spare room that's a study maybe. Or with, yeah, do you see what I mean? Yeah. They don't so want to I... in in an apartment building where they're paying crazy service can charge. I, I'll float a couple of ideas uh, for you that yeah. like, where I, I, Quick fire, I wonder, exactly. yeah, mad, I, I wonder yeah. where like housing is, is headed, right? So I don't know if it'll be super quick fire, but let, let's see how we go. Go uh, for it. So yeah, yeah. you mentioned about like first time buyers like leapfrogging that whole sort of one bed, two bed, uh, flat phase the nano flats are skipping going to houses or they were before yeah, the pandemic so yeah 
uh, I had this idea a while back, and I I think I've seen a news article or two about it since that it's actually coming to fruition. But I wonder if you might think it okay. industrially it would become the standard. Um, three or four, four person mortgages. The idea to get like right a one bed flat is way out of your price range. So what if you got together with two other friends and bought like to get you on the ladder? Can you see that happening? Yeah, but the problem is it's a little bit like getting married too young. The reality is, is that your kind of financial security is kind of linked to one or two other people yeah, in a way, isn't it? Yeah, but only for like, what? But I mean, we bought this place uh, three and a half years ago, I think. And uh, it was always on the basis of, right, we'll buy it, we'll do some work and then we'll sell it in like five years. Like, And I, for, the, for that reason... I feel like yeah, you'll f and then you'll sell it and you you've what you you'll stop with the mortgage. No, like we'll what? sell it and then the money that we've made, we might actually stand a chance of pay, paying off the deposit that we borrowed. Um, so like we're yeah, we're in that no, situation that. where we were I was talking about earlier about where you know some people have borrowed money for the flats and then the flats get zeroed. Um, yeah, we're yeah. like that, but with a house. So or they go into negative equity, then they're in trouble. Right, if we went really. into negative equity, we would be fucking horse fucked eye-wateringly over a barrel would be would be really screwed and that's what happened in the 90s wasn't it with the exchange rate mechanism of black wednesday yeah. loads of people went into negative equity huge property crisis and to be honest i think all of this housing crisis business it needs to get really bad before it can get yeah. better you almost need like property prices to completely collapse so they're just putting air back into the bubble with the stamp i know it's finished now but the stamp duty uh, cut now, unlike with Theresa May and Philip Hammond, which it was targeted to first-time buyers, this was even for mm. anyone. So you could have even been an overseas investor. You could have you benefited from the stamp duty mm. cut. That's completely ridiculous. And, I, you know, I was walking down some estate agents in Wapping, and in the height of the pandemic, I think it was a second lockdown, uh, you literally, you've got guys working there that they've had sign-off because it's, it's, you know, key workers. <laughs> and you just think, wow. It's a little bit like we don't really make that much in this country yeah. anymore. And it's kind of like housing is kind of too big to fail. It's a bit like the banks. Yeah. So even in the pandemic, in the lockdown, we had to be saying, oh, yeah, you can even, not even virtually, you could go into a property generic was allowing that. And you just think, gosh, what have we caused here? And this is successive, you know, governments. It's governments of all mm. views. The reality is that no one have really, I think Germany and other countries, lots of people rent. I'm not saying it's a better situation, but they put their money into businesses. Yeah. They don't put their money into property. Property is supposed to be really boring. But here we've got journalists, we've got charities, we've got everyone being experts on property because it's such a nightmare. So complex and it's so hard. It's like snakes well, and ladders. It's seen as a, a real sort of, you know, the, the expression safe as houses is seen as a real store of value. And I don't know how much you know about quantitative easing, but um, as as they continue to print money or, or sort of invent it out of... Was pushing up the yeah. prices for those well, that would... Well, what, what was happening was they were inventing money to then uh, apportion and allocate to various infrastructure projects yeah. and, and, and or, or bailouts or whatever. Uh, yeah. And so the value of cash was going down and down and down and, and confidence in government was being diluted by the day. And so things like uh, government bonds where people would traditionally invest in these, in these instruments uh on the basis yeah. that oh if i buy a government bond or i buy into a government bond then that's my retirement sorted i'll have a pretty good yield good, re yeah, good return in my on that. sunset yeah. years yeah. um and because the 
But interest rate rates became very right, low then, yeah. didn't it? So, so it was easier the to The yield was just fucking tanked. And so this is creating a yeah. lot of concern, um, I think, in the US bond market about, like, well, why would people fucking yeah. buy into bonds anymore? It's in real trouble. Yeah. Um, and that creates problems for us because in the UK bond market, that's where, <laughs> that's where we borrow our fucking money from. When the Prime Minister yeah. stands up or, or Rishi Sunak stands up there and goes, well, we're going to borrow another, you know, three billion for this. That's what he's talking about. He's yeah, talking, yeah. I'm going to sell some yeah. bonds to some pensioners. Now, if, yeah. if the pension, if it doesn't make sense for pensioners... And that needs confidence. Yeah, if it yeah. doesn't make sense for pensioners to buy these bonds, i.e. they're not actually going to make much of a yield out of it, they won't fucking buy them, which means we're not no. borrowing any money off anyone, which means there's no fucking money no. for government. So anyway, then they start printing all this money the value of cash or the perceived value of cash disappears. And so the argument is uh, that people with a lot of money in their autumn years have gone, do you know what's actually a better investment than bonds? Fucking property. property. Yeah, so they buy these one-bed flats. Let's hoover them up. Let's have a nice big buy-to-let portfolio. Right. Let's do it. But to, to their credit, the government then started to move away from that. So George Osborne brought in, you know, there was tax relief when you were rent, renting out yeah. a property. So they basically went on a war against buy-to-let right, landlords yeah. to try and stop all of this idea of hoarding all these rental properties and actually try and allow first-time buyers to get yeah. on the market. And there was a piece, I think, about it two or three years ago where it was the most number of first-time buyers since the, I think, late 90s or early 2000s. Uh, you know, I was interviewed in the BBC. It was around that time. I think that was two years ago. And literally, you know, that was a huge milestone because of some of the changes that have been brought mm. in to try and not make it financially, you know, beneficial or viable to basically do a big buy-to-let. I mean, they would protect those that kind of, you know, had buy-to-let properties, but those that were thinking of getting into that, they were yeah. off. Yeah, I remember. You know, yeah. it's an interesting one. It is really interesting what's going to happen, but I think you almost need the property market to completely be on its knees. Before they'll... You know, yeah. and I think with all the stuff about new build nightmares and cladding and leasehold developers' names and trust in house builders at such a low now. The thing is, you need, I think, and not. And I know some people on the left say social housing is a magic bullet, but it's not. But you need some of that to try and drive the market to set standards. You know, you do need that. And you also need to deal with demand as well. Yeah. The... You're allowing any Tom, Dick and Harry around the world to buy property yeah. for just 3%. It's crazy. British people have got nothing against that. They don't, unless you've got bump bank of mum and yeah. dad the 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 other thing the the other sort of future uh, scenario i wanted to uh market to you uh was the idea of and we're seeing a little bit of this at the moment the, the idea that companies would actually step in so where the government i mean the, the old adage is where the public sector fails the private sector will walk in and then just walk in and do try, it better try, try, stuff. try and find a way yeah. to make money out of it and do it more efficiently um now, with housing, um, I had this idea a couple of years ago where I was like, do you know what? We can all agree there's not enough houses. Uh, yeah. If I were a big company like Apple or Vodafone or Barclays, you know, you mentioned your friends earlier are on the grad schemes. I did a grad scheme at KPMG yeah, back yeah. in the day. Um, and uh, I would, I would seriously consider starting some sort of like like flat ownership thing like ski like a bit like a pension scheme actually that's a good point where it's kind of like they will house yeah. the workers and you'll improve productivity because i think 
the housing crisis is massively linked to productivity. Yeah. And actually, you know, some companies do it abroad and even schools. So uh, international schools, what they'll do is they'll own lots of property or rent it. And then the workers will go at a sub market mm. rate. So they've got really good, you know, rental. But you th I think, you know, John Lewis are talking about, I think they are now going in or Waitrose, John Lewis, they're going into rent the rental mm. market. You're looking at BlackRock. They're going into shared ownership and housing associations. The thing is, is that that's probably the way things are moving. Build to rent is another big scheme, basically, where you've got instead of multiple different landlords, there are actually tenants, you know, leaseholders yeah. that don't really have control over a building. You'll have one big institutional investor that owns the whole building. And then they are your kind of buy to let landlord and they control everything. And then there's great rental yields over a long period of time. I mean, Canary Wharf Group is down the road from me. They've got a few rental buy to rent schemes. You know, BlackRock are big into that. There's mm -hmm. a lot of other companies that are buying into build yeah, to rent. Yeah, I think Goldman's. I don't know whether you do. I don't think it's a great situation because they might be even more unaccountable and unreasonable than, you know, the guy down the street that just has one or two flats in his buy to let portfolio that at least you can speak to. These guys... A lot of them are faceless offshore companies. Yeah. I mean, I, d I don't feel totally comfortable with people like BlackRock or Goldman's buying up uh, no. rental properties uh, and then renting them out. I feel like it will be like like corporations like that. If you like, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of looking at the various angles and corners of somebody, if it's a person, if of their character historically to decide whether or not they've, put a foot wrong now with the, the thing that they've just recently done wrong yeah. so a great example of this is uh lawrence fox was in trouble on twitter uh yesterday i think he put a thing up about uh, a footballer that was charged with rape and because it was a black footballer he made a link to taking the knee and something or other and, and the implication there was that because he was a black footballer um that that everyone should show solidarity with him and take the knee. That was that was my read of it. And that appeared to be the read of a lot of other people. But, you know, most of Twitter was on fire and, and upset about this. Uh, and his explanation of it was that uh, actually he was suggesting that people should just be really more, more supportive towards rape victims, which I thought was fucking ridiculous. Because if you look at the history of his character and all of his other tweets, which is more likely on balance of probabilities is it is he being provocative and racist or is he suddenly pivoting to being very supportive yeah, yeah, yeah. of victims of rape and domestic violence so you don't trust these companies to be good kind of landlords no because they've that. never done anything in the it's about of... ruthlessly monetizing yeah. you could say the, they the, have the, a, the asset a richly documented history of fucking people over and yeah. working to the nth degree of of cold-hearted capitalism so do i think they're gonna suddenly you know turn a corner and pivot and be some sort of socially conscious landlord uh no. and, and make change You've got another thing coming i mean you even no. look at housing associations some of those guys act like gangsters mm. there was a documentary bbc panorama called the home i can't afford Mm. And it was all about actually how housing associations operate worse than private freehold owning companies, really? you know, based in Monaco, where they'll sell short leases. So they'll sell a 99 year lease, knowing perfectly well, or 125 years, that in 10, 15, 20 years time, that lease is going to need to be extended at a fortune to the buyer or to the owner or to the shared owner. And mm. they're doing, they're playing all the angles of leasehold. So they knew that. And you had the head of, um, 
then this is a housing association? This like is a, housing associations. And like even in the private body. sector, if I bought a private flat, yeah. most of the standard now is 999-year leases. Yeah. But somehow with shared ownership and housing associations that have got an ethical role that hide behind charity law, yeah. they would literally deliberately playing the angles by doing 99, 125 years. And you had Kate Henderson, I think, from National Housing Federation, she literally was smirking all the way through the interview because she couldn't defend this yeah. practice of selling the short leases, knowing that they've got the, 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 the low income, maybe key worker over a barrel. Yeah. Because that person's going to have to negotiate and barter with the housing association, far better finance that will have their own surveyor, their own legal team saying, look, extending the lease is going to cost 20K. Yeah. And they're like, well, hang on a second. This is crazy. This is supposed to be an affordable product. And you know what? That documentary, yeah, and the OKP has yeah. been pushing at it, it got Sadiq Khan to change the policy. And he said, look, any money now that's coming in from the GLA for new shared ownership properties, it has to be 990 or 999 year leases. Mm, and mm. the government lo loves that policy so much. MHCLG, they've nicked it, the Tory government off Sadiq. And they're applying mm. it to shared ownership properties across the board for the new bills going forward, which is great. And for leasehold. So all new leases are going to have to be 990 or 999 year leases. So that's great. You're not need, going to need to extend and go through that really stressful, costly procedure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, at least that's one uh, sort of nice positive note to, uh, to end on. Yeah. To end on, yeah. Um, normally, do you know what, Harry? These these podcasts, these episodes are normally about like an hour, hour and a quarter. But I've, you know. Yeah, I see. I'm so sorry. Once you get no, me no, talking, it's... we kind of talk the back legs of a high no, no, donkey or whatever yeah, like it's a, a Genuinely a, a really fascinating uh, topic to, to delve into. And, and you're so well researched on it and articulate. And uh... I'm still learning, though, a lot of stuff, even about mortgage availability. I'm still learning in the different products. And I was reading about life leases and yeah. Sharia compliant property and all of this sort of stuff. There's so much. Right. Like, literally, you could do a PhD you on know, housing. Like you, you'll know, you know this. Housing. <clears throat> you'll know this being a reporter, but uh uh it's you know i'm not a reporter but i feel like i have the same sort of uh, uh sensibilities of one where i just i really get a kick out of talking to people uh where they have such yeah. a passion and they're so well researched about a topic that i can just lit i could just sit here like a sponge and just drink in the information all day and have a good natter yeah, exactly and, and learn and it's bouncing back and forth because you've challenged me today as well and made me think about right, how do I explain this in a different way? How do I, uh, do I believe that and all of that? Because I think as a reporter, as a journalist, you have to be, you've got to report what is out there, what is the mm. fact. But having an opinion, that's for the editors, that's for the opinion writers, the opinion editorial mm. guys, it's the leader writers. But a reporter, you have to kind of just not really put any varnish on it or a tilt on it. It's kind of little bit like I, BBC, I always think journalism, it's not about neutrality. There's no such thing as neutrality. But the reality is, is you're not always thinking about what do you believe. Mm. So it's quite nice today going on about what I think, because as a reporter, you have to just speak to people, report their stories, piece things together, maybe government announcements, but you're not really thinking about what you think. Yeah. But I definitely think there needs to be a housing crisis to really force genuine like pro-consumer change on the housing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's hope. Do you know what I mean? It's all being done to benefit the landlords and the developers. I really think yeah. that at the, the moment. The only sort of point I didn't manage to get across, actually, um, in our chat was um, I felt like the, the the freehold, that there is the dividing line in, in my sort of read of the situation of, of 
you know when you get when, in in the immediate aftermath of a Tory election win, you'll always get people on your Facebook feed and in your friend circle who will style themselves as sort of something of a winner within a conservative win in in the yeah. sense that you know they're on 50k they drive a nice car they're on the property ladder yeah. uh, they go on nice holidays once or twice a year and they really think yeah. in their heart that they're part of this conservative they made win, it. right yeah. and it's amazing to me because That's it's like if you if you're one of these guys in this one bed flat or two bed flat and you're on you know you're on the ladder you've got the nice car blah 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 um but actually the freehold there is the defining line in that's yeah. what it is. It all back down to land right. capital, and it goes back hundreds of years of the House of yes. Lords and the House of Commons. It's all going back to that. It's about yeah. land, and the reality is that I've been thinking about this even with my bosses, and you know, we go a little bit off piece. But the party of home ownership—is it the party of home ownership? But they talk about the party of property owning democracy. Yeah. Who's who's property owning democracy? Is it those of the the moneyed classes? Is it of of the oligarchs of the plutocrats? Yes. Is it of the developers? Yeah. Is it that's it that's... of the real one percent? Or is it about spreading capital? Are they the party of capitalism or are they not? Are they there to conserve it in the hands of the few that Jeremy Corbyn, you know, used to say that. The, but the reality is, is Labour the party of homeowners? Because they've always, you know, traditionally they have been kind of on favour of homeowners. But generally they've been more about the dispossessed, the mm. homeless and the social housing tenant. Mm. You know, they're always kind of against right to buy. That was a great redistribution of power and wealth. Yeah, yeah. That was almost socialist in the early days. What went wrong with right to buy is that you allowed the policy to carry on for so many years that it was a way of basically hoovering up these properties on the cheap mm. and then renting them back to the council and then screwing the taxpayer. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's happened. They didn't stop it and they didn't use the money. They, Margaret Thatcher could have used the proceeds to build more social housing, but they did it as a way of washing their hands and shrinking the state in a mm. way. But it was, you know, you speak to those people in the 80s and 90s that managed to buy their council house and the, the social mobility they enjoyed was something that Labour should have been behind. Mm. And it took the many leaders, I think Neil Kinnock, I think it got to Tony Blair where they kind of said, yeah, we accept the principle. But they should have just mothballed it at the end but with the property, you know, the property boom in the 2000s. They should have stopped it there because you hear about Tower Hamlet's council, Newham council, all these people are just buying these right to buy properties for like, nothing and then just renting it back is a nightmare yeah but then you know labor the, even the tories themselves who say they're the party of the landlords and the aristocracy but they were the ones that started this kind of for flats this idea of you're going to force a private citizen to sell their land to another private citizen almost maybe mugabe style as long as there's some compensation yeah. it's basically basically stealing property in a way yeah yeah you know, and that's quite almost very, you know, interventionist in the market. So it's not always black and white. No. You know, New Labour, they promised they wanted to abolish leasehold. And then when it came to it in government, they listened to the landlords and the developers and they just did a fudge. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so it's interesting. It, it is interesting. It's, it's fascinating. And it's it's a story that I hope that we continue to uh to expose and and uh, and investigate um, you in a more professional capacity, but me certainly in uh, in any flying the flag in any exactly. humble way I can, yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I want to say thanks very much for for joining us tonight, Harry. Thanks for having um, us or having me rather. Yeah, yeah. and uh, this episode will be out on uh, iTunes and Spotify. I will warn um, listeners of the audio podcast that uh, I will be moving to a sort of Patreon esque model soon. 
um so the the podcast will still be free uh, you can still access it but it will be going out to patreon subscribers uh first and foremost um after the youtube broadcast so um uh, that's going to take effect in a couple of weeks um but yeah once again thank you so much um harry for joining me tonight and uh, to everybody thank else for tuning in and we'll be back hopefully next week all right thanks very much guys Lovely. bye, bye. <laughs>